Hey everybody, it's CJ Graham. Happy campers! Hey, just sending a shout out to the Rants at the Black Lodge podcast. Happy fourth anniversary, crew. Live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested superstar of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you the fourth anniversary edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. And what an amazing four years it has been. The response from all of you out there in the Rant Army is nothing short of incredible. And we cannot wait to head into our fifth year. Got some big things on the horizon. Now, speaking of incredible, this month we were incredibly fortunate to have Jason himself, CJ Graham, give us that awesome anniversary shout out at the top of the episode as a thank you to the man behind the mask. Well, tonight, sir, we will be singing your praises with an in-depth retrospective for Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Come on down to Mask by Lance, premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey mask, down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mask by Lance. Go order one now, boy! Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. Hey, assholes! It's me, Boner the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. Here to sell you some shit you probably can't afford. Are you low on cash? That's not a problem. Sell your children. Sell your blood. Go to the jack-off clinic and give them a sperm sample. We don't care how you get the money as long as you give it to us. Want a t-shirt? Want a sticker or a mug to show that you're a true friend and a member of the Ran Army? Well, guess what? Go to Rant Army Surplus. The link is in the description. And if you don't buy something, then fuck ya! Alright, Rant Army, tonight we not only celebrate the fourth anniversary of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, but we're also going to be celebrating the 35th year of one of the greatest slasher sequels ever laid to celluloid. I'm your host, Brandon A. Lane, and I gotta say it, it wouldn't be much of a party in the Black Lodge without my two best friends, Fact Fuck Scott, Fact Tony, aka The Booze Brothers. May our shot glasses on this hallowed occasion stay as full as our hearts as we head to Camp Forest Green. 
and dig up the sixth entry in the long-running Friday the 13th series known as Jason Lives. So that's what we're here to talk about, boys. Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. My second favorite of the entire Friday series. Uh, depending on the day, first or second favorite. It goes, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I completely understand. It's, oh, it's the funnest one in the front. front it definitely, no argument. <clears throat> well, let's just hit the ground running. Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives, was released August 1st, 1986. Now, we're recording this earlier, but on the day that this will be out, which will be August 1st of 2021, it will be exactly the 35th anniversary of this film. Doesn't feel like that was 35 years ago. No. Well, he holds up. We're so fucking old. I know. We're, oh, God. Scott, you're the young, youngest. Yeah, yeah he wasn't alive when no, it came out. I remember. I didn't go see this one. It was Jason Takes Manhattan that I snuck into. It was the first one I, I also, saw in theaters. I also saw part eight in the theater because my grandmother was a horrible racist, but she was a neglectful grandmother in positive ways as well. So I got to see this Yay in the theater. neglecting adult bad decisions. <laughs> uh, the budget of this film was an estimated $3 million. Now, even in 1986, for, for, a, for a small budgeted horror movie, that's still a lot of more money than these. The zombie monster effect of Jason. They they really went for it. They 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 changed directions with this one. This is the first zombie Jason movie. Force of nature. And it was and it they they put their they backed it up. The if you adjust for inflation to twenty twenty one money, that roughly comes to seven point five million dollars. So yeah, in in terms of like even the most expensive Friday the Thirteenth film, this is uh, probably up there. I think the remake uh, is was made for more, but yeah. even if you adjust that, I mean, it's it it all evens out. But it's still this movie had a decent budget for a mid level slasher film in its and, sixth installment. Yes, you know, they didn't have to put this kind of money behind it; they chose to smartly. On the opening weekend, it made $6,750,837. Adjusted for inflation, that comes to $16,735,177.09. Got their um, money back for they, sure. I mean, in the first weekend, they doubled their money. People were really excited about the promise of Jason Lives after part five when, hey, it's some random down. ambulance driver. We'll, we'll get yeah. into the uh, the rocky road laid by the previous sequels. Uh, worldwide box office, $19,472,057 adjusted for inflation. That comes to $48,270,802.91. So, yet again, on a small budget, this movie made a huge amount of money. I mean, that's why slashers were big. Oh. But, at the time, this was the lowest grossing Friday the 13th film, including the two movies that came after it. Well, Absolutely people are insane. stupid. Yeah, I agree. And we'll talk about that as we go on. Alright. Now, collectively between your two <sighs> noggins, if you had to come up with a, a, an IMDb rating out of ten, what do you think this movie stands at? Six and a half. For IMDb, a four. Six out of ten. Hell yeah. I'm glad you were right. This this is, of the series, probably has the best critical ratings uh, because the movie... You know, so, it's, so, it's, so, it's, very, it's very self-referential, and I think critics were more akin to take that into consideration than they are just the straight-ahead slasher movies of that you know had preceded it. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think it's standing at? 58. What do you think, Scott? 49. 
You're close. 48%. I fell rotten, like a wheel of fortune. Rotten. <laughs> and, and here's the other thing. You know, we've sort of had an in, imbalance uh, between Rotten Tomatoes as of late where the uh, tomato meter will you be higher be. than the audience score, but okay. the audience score comes in a little closer to what I would put it at. 52%, which is still rotten, but it's almost on the uh, the fresh rating. Yeah. Um, Metacritic has it at a, a 30 out of 100, so fuck Metacritic, as always. Come on, well, Google. What, well, before we get to Google, what do you think Shudder has it as? 4.3. What do you think? 4.8. 4.5, or sorry, 4.4 out of 5. Damn. I'm closer to that yep. going over. I win the prize. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Trusty old Google users, what do you think they have it at? 90, at least. 85. 93%. Holy shit. Yeah, yes. I love Google. But Google is no longer the most tried and true uh, reflection of how we feel about a movie. We have to give it to over to the Rant Army. So what do you think our Rant Army review score is? 95. With, with only having two options. Jason lives good. Jason lives bad. What do you think the Rant Army on our Facebook group chose it as? Better be all good. 95. What do you think? All good. If there's a single vote against it, they need to fucking stop listening. This movie's perfect. 89%. Wow! Ouch. How dare you? Now, I will will agree with... Fucking Gen Z. I will agree. (laughs) Actually, they're not on Facebook. I think think a lot of it... I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people... There's a contingency that just don't like slasher films. And they're wrong. I agree. I agree with you because slashers are the most fun. They are the most fun, but they are the least scary type of yes, horror film. Yes, I will agree. Because the horror is not always the the motivation behind a slasher film. T A, um, yeah. you know, slashers are nine times out of ten the gateway to horror. Though you like, you'll see slashers are acceptable to watch on television a lot of the times. And like, Exorcist hardly ever comes on television. I mean, uh, well, it's too, it's, it's, it's too sexy. You have a preteen stabbing their coochie with a with a crucifix. Exactly. I mean, come they'll on. They'll show like slashers all the time, and after you see slashers, you want to go find other horror movies. So, how can you hate slashers if you love horror? I, I mean, I don't get I, it. I mean, I from a pure standpoint of like liking something that is like scary um, and probably more plot driven yeah, rather Halloween. than Halloween. The first time Texas Chainsaw Massacre could kind of be described as a slasher. I mean, he's slashing. I absolutely consider it as a slasher. It is. Like, like, it? like, honestly, those are the only two I can, that I could think of. I would consider a- Alien a slasher, yeah. as is Psycho as a slasher. But uh, but they're, but it's... Alien's creature feature, man. Ah, but it's, still, it's, it's a slasher. Like slasher it's, in space. it's a slasher it, in space. No. It's a slasher You're in space. You're all wrong. You're all kids. It's just you don't know. All right. It's on okay. Fat Tony's hit list, how many kills do we have? We have 18. Now, that comes to one kill every 4.72 minutes. Now, it wasn't always intended to be that way. Uh, I believe what he had planned is that there will be 13 kills, and then they did the test screening, and the producer had held back a chunk of money and be like, no, this movie needs more kills. Unfortunately, the thing they did not account for that you need, absolutely need, in a top-notch slasher film (sighs) is on uh, in the breast region. So, on Stink Dick Eddie's Titty Tally, how many breasts we got, Scott? This is the only film out of all the Friday to have zero titties. That's... 
And especially <sighs> people talk a lot of shit about Part Five, but it had the best set. Oh, uh, well, Danny Steinman, yeah. the, the gentleman who directed Part Five, is a former porn director, and God bless yeah. him oh. because he gave us, you oh. know, the most exploitative Friday the Thirteenth film I mean. out of the entire series, and he did it without having Jason in the movie. Mm. So, with that in mind, uh, Jason Lives may suffer from a lack of exposed breast, but 1986 more than makes up for that in sheer volumes of horror films. Okay, I'm excited. Brandon sent me just a preview when he was kind of working on the list for this fucking stiff competition, and... Jesus Christ! I got half a chub. Yeah, th- this was uh, this was the year that, like, other than probably 1981, this is probably the most explosive year uh, of of horror films by sheer volume. So let's check out the stiff competition of 1986. Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind to read off the films that we have in this illustrious list. We have April Fool's Day. Chopping Mall, the most lying poster and movie cover ever. <laughs> Directed by our, our friend slash frenemy, Jim Wynorski. <laughs> Class of Newcomb High. Critters. Deadly Friend. You know, that's a, Christy Swanson can get I'm it. I'm telling you. Uh, Dead Time Stories. Demons 2. Dramaniac. David Cronenberg's The Fucking Fly. From Beyond. Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Fucked up movie. Great movie. The Hitcher. House. The remake of Invaders of Mars. That's a Toby Hooper Toby movie. Toby Hooper film. Made Love by that. Canon. My, my motherfucking Canon. Canon films. Killer Party. The remake of Little Shop of Horrors. One of the only, like, oh, three musicals I've ever liked. Monster Dog. Starring Alice Cooper, mind you. Sorry. <laughs> and directed by Claudio Fragasso, who directed Troll 2. Neon Maniacs were the Fucking killer monster groups. Water is their fucking weakness. It really pissed me off. It's on Tubi. Check it out. Night of the Creeps. <laughs> fucking Tom Atkins' favorite movie he ever did. Oh, good Poltergeist stuff. 2. Psycho 3. Slaughter High. Sorority House Massacre. Terror Vision. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh, another Tri- canon movie. Hell yeah. Trick or Treat. Troll, Vamp, and Witchboard. Mother fuck, Long that's a list. Board. Shout out, oh shout God, out, uh, shout out. Here's a little bit of tidbit of information about Witchboard. Our buddy Mixtron worked on it, and he does not <laughs> remember working on it. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so you know it was a good time. Rest in peace, you redheaded goddess. Uh, what was her name? Fuck. Uh, <laughs> um, Come on. Uh, what's uh, that? Uh, Tony Katane? Tony Katane. Yeah. yeah, she's dead. <sighs> she died a few months ago. Oh, uh, no! Man, Bachelor Party. Like, that's one of me and my dad's holy trinity of comedies. Yeah. The rat cover album. Oh, I would have loved, I would have loved to see her, even, even her, in her older age, doing splits on a fucking hood of a car. Godspeed, you well, redheaded guys. that just brought me down. Yeah. All right. Out of the list that we just laid out, what do you, what do you think? Friday thir- too. Well, oh, you, where do I think where, it fell? Where do you think Friday Thirteenth falls? Say in the top five. Is it's it not in the top five? Well, it maybe five. I'd put it number four. All right, coming in at number five. Surprisingly, another uh, Friday Thirteenth sort of uh, in-house uh, creation from Sean Cunningham and Steve Miner. The movie House 
which uh, you and I yeah. watched uh, the Richard. day that we recorded uh, Heavy Metal Marsh Madness. Richard Mole. Great movie. $19,444,631. Coming at number four, and you were absolutely correct, Scott. Number four, Friday the 13th Part 6 with $19,472,057. Coming at number three, and I did have uh, somewhat of a, a, a reservation about putting this on the list. But considering it, it, it is, even though a still a comedy, it does have horror elements. Little Shop of Horrors, the remake, the musical. The word horror is in the title. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> but I mean it's I mean it's a comedy. It's the second still... best Bill Murray cameo ever. Oh my god, after Zombie after Land. Zombieland. Oh, I agree with he, that. He, he, yeah. he play, yeah. He's in. Uh, yeah, he plays the Jack Nicholson's role yeah. in the original. Yeah, yeah the, the guy who gets off on <laughs> getting his feet drilled. <laughs> Uh, made $38,983,045. Coming at number two, which was your number one choice, Poltergeist 2, $40,996,665. So I'm assuming Takes Chance on Massacre will be number one. Uh, Fuck no. Oh, uh, damn it. It got, it got by being released un- unrated. It was released un- unrated um, to get around the, because the, uh, otherwise they would have given it an X rating or NC-17. I'm not really sure about X the rating. X was still existing. Uh, NC-17, the first one was that. Chance was a uh, penis. Fred Willard, not Fred Willard. Um, anyway, words. But that was Words. released by <laughs> released by Canon, and it got it got fucking demolished in the fucking uh, you know you know the box office. So number one, David Cronenberg's The, the Fly. Fly yeah. Oh wow, so sixty million six hundred and twenty nine thousand one hundred and fifty nine dollars. I figured that movie way too gross for it to be number one, but I'm I'm glad it wasn't. I. Uh, the gooey, slimy man. It's, it's, good, it's good stuff, but it was also presented. Uh, it had a budget. It was presented more so as a mainstream film with it a lot like of a romantic film. It was like yeah, a romance. I mean, you got to think Gina Davis and uh, Jeff Goldblum was hot as shit in that film. Okay, he dude. was a very attractive man. Not not gonna not gonna knock you for your for your conventions. You got a you got a framed picture of Jeff Goldblum laying naked. Maybe I do with the open shirt, Jurassic Park. Yeah, are you saying you don't? I, I'm, it's, in your it, it's coming. It's coming in next week, okay. right, and then I'm going to be coming in it next week. <laughs> yeah. But, um, all right. Before we can talk about Jason Lives, we got to talk about how the series was born, died, and resurrected with this excellent sixth entry in the long running slasher series. So let's go from page to screen. All right. Take you back in time. 1980. A little film debuts in theaters, and it dethrones The Empire Strikes Back as the number one film at the box office. That film, in case you are dumb, is Friday the 13th. Now, we're not going to debate the film's merit, but it's beyond clear that the influence of Friday the 13th and its predecessor, Halloween, which it completely rips off, even though I love it, (laughs) they... Defined the decade. Uh, this was, you know, the trend that you know, persisted, it died off, and was reborn consistently, and it's continued throughout the years. Um, you know, multiple sequels, and uh, just a short year later, Paramount would release its follow-up, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Now, the focus shifts from the vengeful antics of Mother Voorhees and her. Uh, you know, love for her dead son to her dead son, the mongoloid Jason, who had presumably drowned prior to the story of the first film. Part two is a money maker. Friday the 13th is now in line to become a full on franchise. 1982 would bring us a new dimension of fear with the release of Friday the 13th three, 
in 3D, which Fat Tony is the only one among us who's actually seen it in 3D. In Run in Ocracoke Island, North Carolina, got to see that and Jaws 3D, 3 in 3D oh at like an outdoor event, and it was fucking amazing. Uh, and I, awesome. I'm so envious. And as far as the films released by Paramount, Part 3 is the most commercially successful. And it's you that got sexy disco score, man. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Harry Manfredini, we tip the cap yeah. to you for, for tapping into a musical genre that had died three years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, we, we could endlessly uh, debate the minutiae as to why Part 3, in particular, holds the distinction. But in the macro, the addition of the iconic hockey mask might have something to do with it. Absolutely. I think, I think I we're think. all in agreement on that. Oh, yeah. So, there's no film in 1983, but Jason would return uh, from uh, for his quote-unquote final chapter in 1984. The formula is now in full effect, and the film is generally held in high regard with fans of the series as being either the best or the second best in the series. Uh, those feelings, regardless... White Hall's ass. It's a perfect slasher yeah. movie. They're... They're verifiable in terms of box office return because part four was a big success, uh, just not as big a success as part three. So that brings us to 1985. We have a new Ugh. beginning, both figuratively and literally. An imposter stalks the residents of Pinehurst. And despite the fact that there's a lack of Jason in the film, it still manages to bring in a huge amount of money. However, that lack of Jason would come back to bite Paramount in the ass because the fan base absolutely hated the new direction. Okay, now we're not, we're not going to dwell on part okay. five. We'll save that for when we do a full-blown <sighs> retrospective. I'm looking forward to doing it uh, yeah. eventually in the, in the future. But first we have to address the elephant in the room. So, the twist of part five is sort of been reevaluated these days, um, but I want to get your guys' take on it, and we'll start with Scott. Do you think the twist of part five was too smart for general audiences in 1985, or was it just a bad idea? It was a bad idea. What do you think, Pat? They were doing cocaine watching Scooby-Doo and said, that's what we're doing. We're going to unmask And then they did more cocaine. No, it's not a good twist. Mm -hmm. It's it's I lo I love the movie I genuinely do it it's nasty it's grimy there's tits there's blood there's I think it has the highest body count of all of them doesn't it uh well of the Paramount movies I of believe the so. Paramount yes I'm not counting the space station that explodes in Jason X it has like a million people on it I'm talking about yeah <laughs> but no I mean like I fucking love the dirty griminess just like Nightmare on Elm Street too I love the dirty griminess it's your Nightmare Two being your favorite but. The twist was so. I'm my weird son was murdered by an asshole at this group home, so I'm going to dress up like a dead killer and kill random people because I'm crazy. But I'm crazy enough. I'm not crazy enough. I want to hide who I am. No, it was not well thought out. It made no sense. I don't, like, I'm, why would he dress up as Jason? Why did this random guy just decide I'm going to dress up as Jason? Why but, not just kill? To get, to get away, to, well, to get away, but to, it's because he, he could have dressed up as anybody. At the volume of a mask. In serial mask. killer terms, he was having, um, oh, fuck, I he can't remember. He had no relation to Jason. He was just killing nonstop, going through a berserker mode. It, the movie falls apart when he's killing people that are unrelated to the Pinehurst. The two gay yes. bikers. No, they're not bikers. They're, uh, they're the, the, the the weather guys. The yeah, weather yeah. and we don't we don't know that they're gay, but they're totally it's gay. Insinuated. It's insinuated. <laughs> I do love the the, the, I, the flare I think in the mouth. I kind of like 
the twist. Oh, but I, I also agree that this was not a direction that the series should have continued to go in. I mean, if you're going to do it, give us from the teaser at the end of part four, let Tommy Jarvis. I know this is That's the middle they, of the they, Tommy Jarvis. That's- what they were insinuating. They, they the wanted him family. to be the red herring and they wasted it. I yeah. think I think if they had uh left the movie ambiguous at even at the end where yeah. you still didn't know who was doing the killing and then maybe give him a you know look, a look like he did at the end of part four. It's a different yeah. mask, isn't it? At the end of it, he pulled it's like a blue silver. instead of red or no, like Roy has a mask. Isn't it silver chevrons? No, that's just it? that's just the lighting. lighting. It's just the lighting. It's okay. the same, it's the same mask. Talked about for a while. But uh, that's another one of those things where like a lot of these endings end up being dreams because <sighs> the ending of that movie doesn't make any sense. Like, why the fuck in his, ho- in his hotel room, in his hospital room, would he have the mask yeah. from the end of the movie? Like, that would have been an evidence. Beside yeah. the point, part five, I've reevaluated. I love part five, but it is it is definitely not the direction that the, the series uh, probably should have continued with. So, that brings us uh, on, to part time. six. Part five, Deborah Voorhees, them jugs. That's, that's all Best titties in the whole series. That's all. Uh, okay, now we move on. Now we move on. Chef's kiss. Regardless of how we may feel after the disappointing fan response to Part 5, Frank Mancuso Jr. received a directive from the top brass at Paramount Pictures, get Friday the 13th back on track. And, yo, if we're talking about decisions, Zombie Jason is the best decision they ever made. So starting in January of 1986 and lasting for 40 days of filming, Paramount was set out to remind the film-going audience that Jason lives. All right, Fat Fuck Scott, if you'd be so kind, read us out the synopsis for Jason Lives. All righty. As a child, Tommy Jarvis, played by Tom Matthews, did what many others died trying to do. He killed Jason Voorhees, the mass murderer who terrorized the residents of Crystal Lake. Now, years later... Tommy is tormented by the fear that maybe Jason isn't really dead. Tommy and a friend head to dig up Jason's grave to cremate him once and for all. Unfortunately for Tommy, and very unfortunately for his friend. Instead of finding a rotting corpse, they discover a well-rested Jason, who's come back from the dead for another bloody rampage. Jason lives, but who will survive? So, fuck you, Tommy Jarvis. You're the real villain of the movie. (laughs) I mean... If you, I mean, if you do think about it, like if he, my Frankenstein. If he, oh my God, fuck you! <laughs> if, if, if we'll talk about Alice Cooper a little, Three a, little, songs. a little later on, that song is not included. I know yeah. that, that came out like four years later. Uh, if if this uh, if Tommy had not dug up Jason, everybody'd be sitting pretty. Yeah, it'd yeah. be four screen. All those campers wouldn't have been traumatized. All those counselors <laughs> still alive. You've, I, yeah, I didn't think about this going into John my notes. His nephew would still be alive. God damn it, you just ruined the twist. <laughs> That's Tom Fridley, by the way. We'll talk about him a little later on. Let's say, okay, so Frank Mancuso Jr. was tasked with hand, handling uh, the Friday the 13th reigns, uh, you know, sort of on his back. But he was smart enough to know to hand off the, the franchise to smart people you know, sometimes. Um <laughs> And uh, he gave the movie this time to an up-and-coming director, uh, not only to bring Jason back, but to win over fans who were not fond of the previous film. Frank had this to say about his choice of writer and director. We needed somebody who embraced the theatricality and infused the rest of the movie with that. And I gotta say, they did an excellent job because our director and writer is Tom McLaughlin. And he also directed One Dark Night, and if, if you guys have never seen it, it's free on Tubi right now. There's no reason you shouldn't see 
see it, so go check it out ASAP. This is uh, probably, if I had to like make a list of like top 10 movies that should have been huge, or huge in horror terms, this is one of them. It's an absolutely terrific movie. The guy's a stacked, very, very talented director. Keen eye for, you know, the language of film. And uh, um, he directed episodes of both Friday the 13th, the series, and Freddy's Nightmares. So he kind of has that cross appeal going for him. Uh, he did uh, Stephen King's Sometimes They Come Back. Um, for, a, for, for, for a TV movie, it's, it's okay. Yeah. You know. um, he wrote the Pamela tapes for the video game, which gives us some like insight awesome. to the, the backstory of the character, and it ties the, uh, the whole Tommy Jarvis character going back previous to even these films. It'd be kind of a cool thing to see these ideas fleshed out into an actual movie, but fuck you, Victor Miller! Also, fuck you, Sean Cunningham. At the same time, you both both Keep of you appealing. are both of you are old Give dicks. It up. Just just fucking let it go. Put Frank Mancuso back in junior. Uh, in, in, uh, Frank, Man- no. Frank Mancuso junior back in the guy tr- back in charge seemed to be the guy that did Never Hack Alone and Never Hack in the Snow. Vincent DeSanti. Desanti. Uh, no, that's honestly that's who needs to run the fucking. Those I, I are would, amazing. I would, I would not. At all. I would not be upset at all. But let's put Frank Mancuso back there okay. in terms of like keeping money yeah. money wise on track. I think that would be good. Uh, most recently, um, he was a consultant on Friday the 13th Vengeance, which is another fan film our buddy Mixtron yeah. worked on. A shout out to TJ Bowser. He has a cameo in that movie as uh, the voice of a newscaster. So uh, keep it in the family. Project Louder. Uh, now, I've always said that part four, to me, is the scariest. Part eight, although you know, generally unlike <laughs> has the best cinematography, but hands down the best directed film in the series, in my opinion, is Jason Lives. Now I'm a big fan of Tom's work and producer Frank Mancuso evidently was as well. He uh, Tom had this to say about him ending up on Frank's radar. I've came to the tem- the attention of Frank Mancuso because of the movie I made called uh, One Night, fuck, One Dark Night. I was not particularly interested in a Friday sequel because as far as I was concerned, it had basically run out of steam. The idea was still challenged- challenging to me at the same time, so I, let, uh, I said, let me see all the Fridays. I went to Paramount, I sat in a screening room and watched them back to back. And out of that, I thought, okay, what hasn't been done? Now, there's a lot to unpack with the new things that Tom brings to the series. Um, so let's just start at the opening. Uh, the film is much different than the previous five films. There's the implementation of sort of a gothic atmosphere. I get uh, a really hardcore Wolfman vibes mm-hmm. because it's like that. him walking through the moors. It's very, you know, like... Uh, yeah, that little line of fog and the gargoyles yeah, on the yeah. outside. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, got, it's got that yeah. kind of feel to it. Um uh, it's pretty clear that the old Universal Horror films were a huge inspiration. So let's talk specifically about Jason's resurrection. And we'll talk about that when we get to C.J. Graham. But we'll, first, we got to talk about the film drawing its insp- inspiration for sort of like the old 30s and 40s black and white horror films. So uh, you want to start us out, Fat Tony? What do you think about the gothic tone of the, this of the movie, film? This uh, movie, okay, the, the tone, the pacing... Everything about this movie, like, I've almost taught myself to like it in number one again. And where we disagree, you said part four was the scariest. This one is the funnest till it gets to the end. It has the only scary ending of any of the series. Oh, the ending is terrific. And we'll talk about that later on. But I want to talk specifically. No, the tone, like, I love the tone 
of like you know the nights, the fog, the every the way the movie is shot is great. What do you what do you think about the gothic nature, Scott? I really enjoy it. It's almost like a it's, it's a nod and a wink to the audience. Like this is where I'm coming from. It's very obvious. I'm gonna wear all my um. What's the word? Inspiration. Inspiration's on my sleeve, and it's going to be very obvious where we're drawing from. Well, I mean, there's very direct references, mm-hmm. but there's also, like, just, I mean, just the like same. Like the Karloff store. Yeah, or the Karloff grocery. Hardware, yeah, yeah. Or, or is it a grocery? It's grocery or hardware store. But th- those things are, are just really nice icing on the cake, mm-hmm. because prior to this, it, they just been... You know, here, 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 here's the. Well, I mean, I don't want to sell them short. Yeah. We love, we love yeah. these previous films, but in there's turn, no style. It's like, there's, it's very four has a good style. I like the style of four. I, three is a little too well lit. Part three, and, well, and, and that's the reason the because they bright. had to, they had to shoot it with a three D. They, they shoot it with three D camera. That suffers when you're not watching three D, unlike how I've seen it. <laughs> but uh, no, like like four has a good style and tone. But it's more horror movies of the time. This one does kick it old school a little bit. And I like the gothic tone in I, connection with the more self-aware, humorous side of the kills. Yeah, it is, it's more it sort makes of... It, it's a great blend. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the, the comedic elements as we continue on. Um, do you think, and considering how many times these films have been re-released on you know every version of media, uh, recently we got that excellent Scream Factory yes. Blu-ray set... Do you think it's a missed opportunity to not do just have an option for this movie to be in black and white? Oh, not, I get I get your not, logic behind it. Not oh. not to have the movie in black and white as the main feature, but have a yes. have a special feature of it being in black and white. You know, if you I go to your totally TV's color menu, you can. Just I know, do that. but I'm saying, <laughs> no, I get, I'm saying I get specific, the specific specifically it. color graded to be that traditional, that. really clean black. And I white. understand it, but at the same time, this is also a very heavy product of the '80s. Color, loud, big hair. I think it might be doing it a disservice. I get why, and I'm, I don't think it would be a bad thing. I, I just I thought as bright and colorful as like part eight. I mean, I can totally see it. Nothing like part eight you couldn't do. I'm gonna I'm whatever. going to disagree with you. I You're think wrong. I, okay. <laughs> I think I think that if you did a black and white version of this, as they did with the diesel and dirt cut Mad of, of Mad Max yeah. Fury Road. I think that's just uh, you don't necessarily have to sell it as a separate fucking film. No, just it's just have it as fun. a, a, a want, fun special it. feature. Fun special feature. It would be one I ignore, but I get it's just like the black and white version of like that they did of the fog because that's why I ended it so bleak because they're like, oh, fine, I'll shoot it in color, but I'm killing everybody <laughs> except the dad. We love you, John Carpenter. Uh, All right, Tony said the. I meant the mist. Oh, the yeah, mist. Oh, about, I meant the mist. I, I got excited because I was like, I did. No. The fog is great. I would have loved to have seen the original I love cut of this film. That movie fucked me up as a kid. John Carpenter's The Fog. And like I said in a prior installment, they had to pay Tom Atkins' mustache to go on vacation as to prevent numerous yeah, onset was, pregnancies. The, the, the first, the first like overabundant use of CGI to remove a mustache. <laughs> hit, and it looks so much better than it does on Henry Cavill in the Justice League movie. Um, Tone plays a big role in Jason Lives, not only in a visual sense, but with the gothic aspects and everything, but with the addition of comedy. Now, intentionally or not, comedy seems to be inevitable in oh. in slasher sequels. It wiggles its way into the, the sequels of like these long-running series. Um, Tom had this to say about the addition of comedy to the 
Friday the 13th series. It comes up that I was doing both a horror movie and a Friday the 13th film, and also sort of doing a satirization not only of Friday, but kind of the slasher movies in general. So why do you think the comedy works in this film and sort of fails in other slashers? Because, okay, A, it's part six. There have been comedic side characters in the prior installments, but Jason was always taken deadly serious, pun intended. In this one, when he smashes the guy's face into the tree and it comes out with a bloody smiley face, we know off the rip. Actually, he's he's an electrified universal monster zombie from a storm that punches a hole through... Was it Horshack? Horshack! We'll, we'll get to like, it. Yeah, like, I mean, this is not... To be taken seriously, you had the funniest sides with the kid. What did you? What were you going to be if, if you grew up? Yeah. Shit like that. Like other franchises, always except with like Nightmare and Chucky and Leprechaun. Like the, like Nightmare being the only A tier of those. Always views their killers as too over serious. Like Halloween's a good example. Of, like their later sequels sucked because they. They never allowed humor in. This one did. Then part eight kind of overdid it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm going to agree with you. What do you, What do you think? Um, why 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 does this comedy work in this film and and sort of fail in some other it's these slasher kind of Fresh. They found a way to keep it serious but keep it funny at the same time. It's very much like that perfect balance. I wouldn't say so far as like Gremlins perfect balance, but it it makes there's a reason why this is the most rewatchable one. Because the Joe, like, what am I, fart head, and the kids, yay, and well, I, the American excess card, don't leave home without it, that kind of exactly stuff. Exactly what you just said, uh, I think, is is applicable here. Now, I'll use myself as a, as a reference. Back before these were, like, easily obtainable on VHS, like, to, to own, we had video stores, VHS rental stores, mm-hmm. and... <sighs> Better days. Part six... Without reservation was the one that I rented absolutely the most because you could you could watch that just ad nauseum and you'll find something enjoyable about it every time because you have the levity and it's one that you could show to other people that maybe aren't like hardcore horror fans, but it'll be like, okay, I enjoyed this movie. Now let me check the other ones out. It's like the gateway drug to Friday the 13th, and it happens dead center in the middle of the series. This is my wife's favorite one because it's the easiest one to watch. She's not a horror fan or a big horror fan at all, but she likes this one. (laughs) Divorcer. Leave your family. (laughs) Well, the specific uh, directive from Frank Mancuso to Tom McLaughlin was that he was fine with him doing comedy with one caveat, as long as they didn't make fun of Jason. And there is a couple of wink and nods, like we pointed out earlier with, you know, the, him, you know, looking at the arm when he like slams the guy into yeah. the tree. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to our victims. But for the most part, Jason is played straight. And when we get to CJ Graham, we'll get to talk about, you know, his performance and all of that. But the movie ends up with a lot of levity. Because of the comedy, but Jason is still played absolutely seriously. They still manage to have fun with Jason, especially with what I think is the greatest aspect of this movie. Like, if I had to distill this movie down to one aspect that lets you know, like, what type of movie you're in for, it's that James Bond-esque sequence. Absolutely. That is so cool. I... If they had, yeah, if they had actually played the James Bond theme, I was like, I don't even give a fuck. Yeah, he, they could have put him in a tuxedo yep. and had him drinking martinis the rest of the movie, and I would have like, fuck, whatever direction I'm you're sold. taking this with, I am absolutely sold. 
I need that fan art now. Him wearing the, the tux with the mask on. <laughs> so, um, do you do you think that this intro would turn off maybe some people that are like hardcore into slasher it's movies? It's going to turn off the hardcore fans, but it's going to give the reasonable good ones like us, like a little wink and a like, hey, this isn't serious. We're having fun here. Hey, you know, fuck you. All right. There, there's a lot of self-referential aspects to Jason Lives, like borderlining on what you would consider these days as meta. Mm. I mean, it's sort of like a meta. It's a pre- it's a sub-meta. Sub-meta yeah. uh, comedy horror film. A duration that a decade later would become would come to basically define the entire genre of, 90s, of slasher yeah. films. Um, in particular, with Scream. Now, Tom had this to say. I found out years later, meeting Kevin Williamson, that it had an influence on him, and specifically Scream. So, my question, and we'll start with Scott. How influential is Jason Lives? As far as what would come later, is probably the most influential one of the slasher films from the 80s or period, because... It did have that, like I said earlier, wink and a nod. Like, we, we all know what we're watching here. Come on. So, that same thing happened with Scream. It sets the rules. We all know the rules. And we're going to kind of play with that a little bit throughout. Okay, Tony. It opened the door to uh, slasher f- franchises, films, anything being... And it's not like there weren't fun comedic slasher, like the Slumber Party series and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, like, it, it allowed, like, a... a a good terror it made a good template for a mainstream successful fun slasher movie that's more i'm surprised it's still like the lowest gross i wonder about VHS i mean probably over now. over time it's overtaken over several yeah because this is the most uh broad genre and i can see definitely how it would inspire scream you know because scream you and i just that i was the perfect age for that movie it hit like a fucking ton of bricks and i loved it but you know it took the horror element seriously and still allowed for a sense of humor and that's what I, this i don't i don't know that we'll ever necessarily do a retrospective of scream but we probably should consider it uh for rants after dark to do a watch along because i do have a lot to say about it and i will even defend the movie in a lot of cases Ooh. it's just there's specific things about it that i that i have issues with that aren't even really necessarily applicable singularly. They to hurt his little sensitive bottom. They did. They did. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Scream. It it killed a lot. The only flaw it has is it didn't show Nev Campbell's titties. That's it. Well, I don't think it's the only flaw, but I'll agree with you that they. Okay, there might be minor, minor other. Flop them things out. I, this she new, did like in her forties. It's fine. It's yeah, still good. This new Scream movie. If you don't show your tits, what the fuck is this even about? Wes Craven would want you to. He's dead. Hey, she, she should do full <laughs> frontal <laughs> vagina exposed nudity and get killed in the first five minutes. And not one of those meta kills uh, from maybe, part four, which I did love. The series of different meta openings. Make it. It make needs it, to have no meta opening and her just murdered. Make it ten minutes because let's of her in a shower yeah, and let, then like the last thirty seconds. Yeah, and make stay. it make it one of those Linnea Quigley type showers yes. where you're just soaping your tits. The opening needlessly. of Dress yeah. to Kill. Good movie. Yes. It's a good movie. All right, my my follow up <laughs> question is, um, we'll start with you, Fat Tony. Should they have continued? This tone into part seven because part seven is a hard reset. Oh, I, I honestly like knowing how part seven came out, and I do love, but there's a lot of flaws in part seven. 
a lot of them, but I fucking love that movie. And when we get to her final girls and stuff, it's it, like part seven feels like, well, we've talked about Jason goes to hell. One of those alternate scripts that shouldn't have been, should have been like a good starting place. And they took it, but it seems like they just ran with, we'll have them fucking fight Carrie. Yep. Pretty much. Jason versus Carrie. <sighs> I and I think they attempted to in part eight. I think they tried to go back to the template of the humorous with the only successful moment in that movie when he punches dude's head off. That's great. That's that, gold. That, that is great. What do you think, Scott? Do you think they should have continued the sort of lighthearted tone into part seven? I mean, have you have you seen the ending of part seven? You talking about sweater dad jumping out is it hilarious to you? It, yeah, it's not meant to be though. <laughs> Unintentionally, no, it's not supposed to be. Unintentionally. Everything that happens in this movie is I'm intentional. I'm very biased for Part Seven, so I, even though it's not as fun as Part Six, it is my top three because of Carrie and all that. So, um, I don't hate Part Seven. I love Part I, Seven. I, I think it's uh, for for a uh, a Friday Thirteenth film that is trying to do something different. I, I think it's very admirable. It has uh, a incredible looking Jason uh, until he takes my his favorite. mask off. And uh, the fucking sorry, frog. that's my favorite. It's my favorite Jason. I prefer how Jason looks with his mask off in this movie, but I prefer the look yeah. of Jason overall in Seven Part Better. Yeah, I I won't argue it. All right, let's let's continue on. Uh, speaking of part seven, it undoes one of the key elements that were implemented in Jason Lives, that being the change from Crystal Lake to Forest Green. So, Scott, what do you think? What do you think about them changing uh, the name, uh, both in terms of from this movie and then going changing it back in part seven? Oh, it makes sense, like storyline wise, why they would want to do that. If your town is known for this brutal slaying and all these things, people dying in it, of course you're going to want to change. Why the hell would anybody want to go there except for you know like ghost hunting people or whatever? But but then nobody again, wants to go there. But why then do they change it back in part seven? I mean, because like, you're not going to get away from it. You might as well lean into it. And they had to change the name to figure that out? Yep. I have a different take tell, on that. Tell, tell they, they, they changed it in Part 7 for lazy filmmaking and their part. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> the, no, the reasoning in Part 6 <laughs> is perfect, and I get that, and I still think everybody should call it Crystal Lake in Part 7, but there still be signs for Forest Green. Yeah. Because nobody gives a fuck about it. But they didn't because Crystal Lake does sound fucking great. It's what the series was. But I love the fact they changed it up in part six. And I think in part seven and all beyond, there should always, nobody ever says four screen again, but there should be signs. I, 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 I agree with your, with your sentiment. And they literally, all they would have to have done is just throw in a throwaway line of dialogue to explain it away. Have a sign in the background just for astute audience members. Like, don't even give a fuck have about like, explaining it. Just four screen. Whenever it's like driving, like whenever they're showing a sign driving through, like have the walking four screen, have like somebody spray painted through but Crystal Lake. Or that would have been, yeah. 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 There you go. That would have been cool. Yeah. You just you just did what a See, fucking production you... designer have done. God damn it, McStrong. Why didn't you work on a Friday the 13th film back <laughs> in the 80s? Work on more movies. <laughs> Always. Uh, Work yourself to death, yeah. One thing that Tom had planned to do in the movie that uh, that would definitely have changed the status quo, but ultimately was unable to do, was the inclusion of Jason's father, Elias. All right, um, Scott, you want to just kind of roughly talk about like what this scene would have been? Um, originally, as written, the caretaker was supposed to survive all the way to the end of the film. And he would be going to take care of the graves, and there would be a man in a long black cloak standing there, 
uh, at the graves, and he would look at him like, uh, basically they were saying his name was Elias Voorhees, and he had been paying the caretaker this entire time to take care of Pamela and Jason's graves. Okay, interject real quickly, because part five uh, sort of... Part six retcons something that happens in part five because you have the scene where you have the uh, the sheriff and there's like another guy talking and they talk about like well Jason was cremated. Mm. This was supposed to re- uh, to rectify all that that the 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 official story quote unquote was that Jason had been cremated, but actually Jason's father Daddy. had had paid for him to be properly buried, but they had said he was cremated for you know PR reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, in in those terms, I think this scene would have been beneficial. I mean, ultimately, like nobody gives a shit other than like diehard people like us. But do you think that this ending, Fat Tony, with the inclusion of Jason's father, would have been beneficial, or would have set up things that they would never have capitalized? Just on? like you said, it would have been cool for horror movie fans like this. They never would have capitalized on it. It would. Have, this is the shit that should have been in like a comic book adaptation. Like the. It this was. is a scene that would have made more sense in like a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. It's really cool to think about, but when it's like the ending of fucking Halloween Five, and they tried to do that with part Halloween Six and do something with it. Yeah. It's something really cool that they don't do shit with. They in the novelization of Jason Lives, this scene is included. Which is not canon, but it's still an interesting idea to take. Um, and uh, shout out again to Mick Strawn and the, the, our, our friends that made Vengeance because they elaborate on all of this. However, the whole Elias character has sort of been demystified because of the Friday the 13th video game. Mm-hmm. Because in the Pamela tapes, which were written by Tom, Tommy McLaughlin, he basically says through... Uh, Mrs. Voorhees' voice that, oh, Elias, oh, and he's not Jason's father. But uh, the idea being that maybe Elias was a negative force upon Jason. I, I don't know. I'm, Elias touched his booty hole and his dangle dangle, and that's why he kills now. Yeah, and I, that didn't honestly, make him a mongoloid, but it didn't help. <laughs> I think they would have ignored it in seven, but had that actually played out, I can almost guarantee you, and Jason goes to hell. The Elias thing would have came back up. Yeah, well, they, they, you're right they, there. They do mention Jason goes. Yeah. Uh, Elias specifically in Jason goes to hell. It would have played a lot more into the story, and I think it actually would have been more beneficial if they would have kind of nodded toward that. Again, more. I like the idea, but I know they would have fucked it up. So oh, I'm yeah. glad it's not there. Oh yeah. All right. Well, that's my sort of my follow up <clears throat> question. Do you think they missed the mark? in not having Tom McLaughlin return as a director, as be, sort of being a steward of the series. I want to say yeah, but on Tom McLaughlin's part, it didn't say, it seems like he's like, I'm going to have fun with this. We're going to get this shit going. But it didn't seem like he had interest in being like, you know, a franchise runner. At the at the time, you're probably right. However, 35 years later, it's a Tom, lot of time for perspective. Tom still has the itch to make another film that he's entitled... Jason Never Dies. Now, his script would center around a group of Catholic high school girls. This movie's already great, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, who are supposed to go on a retreat. It's over the Thanksgiving Day weekend. And it would have been set in the late 90s. So it's supposed to be sort of like some um, kind of uh, parallels to like the Y2K stuff going on at the time. Basically, just not really like it wouldn't play like heavy well, into the script. Cyber Jason? No, but that was that was <laughs> Jason was amazing. But there, but there was there was going to be sort of like a through line through the movies of people like freaking out about Y two K. Oh yeah. Um, there would have been a snowstorm 
and it would have, you know, they would have been derailed from getting to the the area they wanted to go to. So, in a last ditch effort of not having to sleep in a cold camper, they find the camp, and then you know, chaos ensues. So, just based off of what little knowledge we have on this script, Jason never dies, yay or nay? Sure, I would have oh. liked that. Getting to see Jason in the snow before never having the snow. Oh hell yay! Wait, I'm going to ask you this: Would this have replaced? It, like, this is something he wants to do now, or would it have filled in, like, replaced a sequel? Um, I don't... Like, this I, instead of Jessica goes to hell? No. I don't have concrete evidence, because I don't really know exactly How when, when, when he wrote it. this script, but he has been very... I'd like for, to see it. I'm sure it would be. He's been very forthcoming in the past few years, saying that if the legality stuff was worked out, and they were like, hey, we want to kind of put the series back on, you know equal footing and maybe tie things back to the original series and sort of ignore the remake. This is maybe a direction he'd be interested in taking yeah, the series. I mean, Do you have a problem yeah. with that? No. Hmm. Um, it's, it's better than some of the pitches I've heard. So um, I, I'll, 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 for the, for the sake of argument, I'll say, yeah, sure. Let's, let's check it out. Uh, we'll come back to Tom McLaughlin as we continue through the retrospective, but now we've got to talk about another Tom who just happens to be our protagonist, Tom Matthews as yeah. Tommy Jarvis. I'm going to stop Brandon here. I said I got to take a shot to this man because I don't know. I have a mental block with this man's name. Every time I talk to Brandon, I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's part six, uh, Tommy Jarvis. I Matthews. don't know why it's even Tom. <laughs> I don't know why. So we have a little bit of juice left in the bottle, so I'm going to take a shot to this man, because I also fucking love and never hike in the snow. Like, honestly, like, like I told Brandon when I saw it, like, this is what Jason does in between, like, when he hibernates. And that- it, it well thought out. Now, I don't want to derail our Jason Lives discussion too much, but I got a gush over the pairing of James Karen and Tom Matthews in Return of the Living Dead 1 and 2. Their chemistry was so good together, yes. and, and they they brought them back for the sequel as new characters because so they, they, so they, were, they were they were killed off in the first movie, but they brought them back as new characters in the part two just because they wanted to have that pairing yep. back. Um, I think this is a missed opportunity to cast these two together more often. I, I think to me they could have been like the modern kind of horror version of Abbott and Costello. <laughs> it would have been great. I have to say this real quick. Fuck you, Michael Dudikoff. Ruin the man's hold career. On, hold on, we'll we'll get we'll get back to Michael Dudico. Um They or you know they could have been sort of in the vein of Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, just with like some spooky uh, backdrop. Yes. I, I think they missed the mark on putting these two together. And now James Karen is no longer with us, and, and Tom, you know, I mean he's he's still working, but you know he's not the the young fellow that he was. I mean, do you think that a a series of sort of like I'll unrelated really horror movies? Take my money. Yeah, I'm right. telling you, I would it would have been so like, oh man, back when I was a kid, I used to rent these, blah blah blah. Return of the Living Dead one or two, but then they did, you know, you know, zombie sluts at zombie college. I don't know what, dude, I, zombie sluts, <laughs> zombie sluts at zombie college. Let's make this fucking movie, Mick, Mick. I got an idea for a movie. I'll get I, the, need, I'll, I need you to production design it. What is it? Kickstarter. Yep. <laughs> zombie sluts for zombie <laughs> college. college. All right. Uh, anyways. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, Alien from L.A., uh, which uh, he was in with uh, Deep Roy, who was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, with Johnny Depp, who was in Ed Wimbledon, Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters, you! 
just got busted. As soon as I heard Deep Roy, I'm like, this is how I'm getting busted. Oh, <laughs> I was fine with it, but yes. Um, and as Fat Tony uh, laid out a little earlier, he made a surprise return as Tommy and never hike alone and returned and never hike in the snow and is poised to return in further installments. We're, we're ecstatic about that. He lended his uh, likeness to, to the game. So he's, good. He's integral to the game. You have to have Tommy to be able to kill Jason. Tom, this version of Tommy is just is awesome. He's a badass. Uh, now, before Jason Lives was set in motion, John Shepard, who played Tommy in Part 5, was offered to return the role. I actually think he was contracted to doing it, but for some, you know, legal reasons. From what I read. He touched a kid. It's, a, it's cool. They, actually, they it was the opposite. He uh, oh. went on to be a preacher. And oh. cut all ties of filmmaking. How's that the opposite? They touch well, you become a preacher, not a priest. Well, oh, both, that's true. Both he and they Pam. Both he and Pam and uh, the, um, the gentleman who Dudley from uh, 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 fucking uh, that show where he got molested <laughs> by the bike owner. Arnold, oh, Arnold, uh, Arnold different, Dudley. Stroke. different strokes. Yeah. Yes. Different strokes for different folks, and that's what he got from the box store owner. I remember seeing that as a very small... It was a repeat, because the original thing came on a little bit before I remember, but like my parents thought it was important for me and my sisters. Like, oh, this is, you all can watch this. This is important. Did you have a box store owner friend when but you no, were No, there's no box store. I wasn't sexy enough. Uh, well... Uh, Dudley was, and um, <laughs> and um, they were offered their chance to return, but I guess when they decided to go in a different direction, because Part 5 was not the movie that they wanted it to be, or in the reflection of the fans. They didn't want to remind the audience, yeah. hey, this guy was in the movie you didn't like. So, either way, enter Tom Matthews. So, okay, okay. Elephant in the room. We have three different actors in three different movies with three different, completely different interpretations of Tommy. Corey Feldman, John Shepard, Tom Matthews. Who's the best Tommy? Tom Matthews. Scott? Matthews. Now, I look like Corey Feldman's portrayal of a young child. Yes. Is perfect. Like, when he's seen him strip and he's just like all weird and they, they, He's great in the role, Tom, but as a Tommy Jarvis, Friday the 13th, I he's lost hard to come back. And I just. I have met Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman was awesome to me. I have nothing but nice things to oh, say yeah, to him. He's fucking great. And as a child actor, he was terrific. Yeah. As an adult actor, on the other hand, he leaves a lot to be desired. Lost Boys 3 was amazing. He even sucked my dick. No, <laughs> It actually was not bad, but you had to watch part two, which sucked to well, get man, to part, part three. Man, it, yeah. Haven't seen past part one. And then they, they wait. You don't have to. I Normally, <laughs> I'm always like, be open-minded. Brandon, watch Evil Dead Reboot. You don't have to see the last okay. one. <laughs> the third one is fun and good, but you have it to watch part it, two. It would have been better if they made it when fucking Corey Haim was still alive. Yeah. Frog Brothers. Been. Okay. Um, he wasn't my, a brother. My pick overall... Course. Course. Yeah, that's right, his son. My pick overall okay. is Tom Matthews. I so that clean sweep, we get the hat trick here. No. Oh. But I'm going to I'm going to throw a little a little monkey wrench into the movie. Now I know they wanted to derail and, and sort of not acknowledge part five, but some of the things in part five about the Tommy character is that he basically he's just full blown PTSD. They didn't have to go full bore with it in this movie, but if there'd just been moments where, like, I think they could have added to the tension of having him yeah. hallucinate Jason and him not being there. I agree completely, because this is just the way he Tom Matthews portrays him as a sane guy who just got fucked over and put in those group homes. But he was totally sane. 
But he fucked up, and he's the true villain of the movie. <laughs> Nobody would have died if he just sat there at the home <gasps> you, with Horshack watching, like, you know, Elvira on old cable access. Well, access. well, you know, if you masturbate with your buddy back-to-back, it's not gay. It's so, not gay unless, so, as long as there's an arch. If you, <laughs> oh if you lean yeah, yeah if, you're, if you're flat-backed, I mean, queer. But <laughs> <laughs> no homo, dude. Uh, Jack off with your buddies. Hey, like, oh, you, you want say to Slayer afterwards? A guy can blow you, and it's not good. Yeah, yeah. Or, or if you blow Rob Halford, because that's just paying that's respect. That's just respect. Jewish priest, fifty years of heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jason Lives serves as the finale to the Tommy Jarvis trilogy, which started in the final chapter um, and ends with Jason Lives. Tommy serves a purpose that I think that the later films suffer from him not filling. Uh, Halloween has Laurie Strode. Nightmare on Elm Street has Nancy. You know, so on and so forth. Friday the 13th had Tommy, but only for a moment. Was it a mistake for the character of Tommy not to return in later official sequels? I would have liked to, like, I think we said this during the Freddy vs. Jason episode. I think a wink and a nod, something in Freddy vs. Jason would have been nice. I don't think he's needed in seven. I'm glad he wasn't in eight. I agree. Jason I, goes. To, J- Jason goes to hell would have been the perfect yeah, time you, to bust him back. You, Bring him back you, out. You took the words right out of my mouth because that's the thing that that and movie is absolutely. If it had been Tommy Jarvis rather yeah. than 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 Duke, and yeah. I and I like I the love character. Duke. Just for Duke's no reason, fun. a pretty expert. Yeah. Sure or even figures. if he found out that he learned it all from this dude, Tommy Jarvis. Yeah, they, they could have. And shout out to Adam Marcus, uh, one of the first people to take a shot on this podcast. He gave us the intro for our 12th episode, and here we are, you know, four, four, years. four years later. So, Sweet Christmas. Tip Oof. of the cap to you, sir. Um, do you think if Tommy had returned in another sequel, could it have worked if. Oh, well, I have a caveat. Oh. Because every movie, they've recast him. If they had brought him back, but he'd been played by a different actor, could it have worked? I mean, he uh, could have been the Freddy the 13th James Bond, you know. There's, yes, James Bond, the actors play in several, but if you condense it down, it's a bunch of different guys playing one role. Maybe. It all depends on who you follow up Tom Matthews with. Exactly. It depends on the actor. It's all it depends on that actor. I, I think it, in rapid succession, I think it can work, but we're also viewing it through the lens of like 35, 35 years, yeah. and now Tom Matthews is so iconic to the role that I can't imagine anybody else doing it. And if they had thrown another person... At the time. I know, and at this point I'm getting, I'm getting to, it's like at the time, like it may not have been such a big deal... But I think if like if they had waited till Jason goes to hell, which was with almost a decade after Part Six, at that point I don't know. No, I don't know. you would want to see like an iconic. You want to see, a, yeah, they should have because they're supposed to be like killing him off, sending him to hell, kind of movie. That would have been the perfect time to pop Tom Matthews as Tommy Jarvis back in the series. So it all comes. So I'm burning your post. It all comes down. Is it the singer? (laughs) Is it the song? It's a question that thankfully we don't have to ask because Tom has come back to the role of Tommy officially in the awesome video game and unofficially in Vincent DeSantis' Never Hike Alone and Never Hike in the Snow. So my question to you now, Tom Matthews, not Tommy Jarvis' character, but should Tom Matthews return as Tommy in an official Friday Thirteenth film? Here's my caveat, though. Should it be an H2O type of situation that disregards the later sequels? 
Should they oh, pick? I like that idea. Like, are you saying like pick up from part six? Yeah, but but just yes. just uh, yes. I'm thirty five years later. I'm fine with that. I'm a hundred percent. Here's here's the second caveat. Or or should we just accept the Never Hike Alone films as yes? I, I fucking yeah. love those movies. Ghost Hawk, Jason. Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah. They're canon. Have him as a, he stayed around as a, you know, just a guy because he knows Jason's going to come back. So he's been around town the entire time. I love that idea. I'm I'm interested to see where they're going to go with the Tommy character um, and, you know, what will be the the next one, which will be the, the official sequel to Never Hike Alone because Never Hike in the Snow is a prequel. But it's, it's, it's awesome that we have this, you know, this kind of... Come back to yeah. It's an alternate timeline, but at the same time, you could real if you squint, you can you can make it work because as long as the TVA doesn't fuck it up. uh, a different discussion for a different day. Um, Before we move on to our female (laughs) protagonist, I want to talk about the travesty that Tom never became a bigger star. Really good actor. He had movie star good looks. Unfortunately, the movie star good looks that he had were also shared by another fellow by the name of Michael Dudikoff. Um, To this day, they are mistaken for one another, and Tom has been outspoken about how this affected his career negatively. So, just an obvious question. Did Tom deserve to have a bigger career? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm not even going to say it on the basis of uh, Friday the 13th, like you said. Return of Living, Living Dead 1 and 2, like, that just, he should have been in more horror comedies as a comedic foil. Or just comedies in general. He genuinely elevated every film he was in. He didn't even have to try. He just naturally is good. The thing that's interesting is that now we have technology that interlinks us at a moment's notice. So you have social media and you have, like, groups on Facebook and, you know, in Twitter threads, like, ad nauseum, where people show their support and their love for something, but you didn't have that back no, in 1986. They, they didn't see the worth in, in these sort of these B uh, cult actors. And I think if they had cultivated him and a few more things, he could have been iconic, not to like a Vincent price kind of way. Like a Bruce but, Campbell kind of way. Yeah. He could have there been, he could have been a slightly uh, less, less Bruce, Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to equal. There's only one Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Now, every great slasher movie needs a final girl, and Jason Lives delivers on one of the most remembered and most attractive girls in the entire series. We have Jennifer Cook as Megan. You can't say her name regularly. You got to go Megan. Megan. <laughs> um, she was she had a short stint in Guiding Light, the soap opera, and uh, she was Elizabeth in the series V, which I absolutely love. Uh, Mark Singer, love you know who else? You know who else was in V? Yeah, Robert, Robert, England. Robert England, who became Freddy Krueger. <laughs> so that's, that's why that. Nightmare on Elm Street fucked me up so much because I knew him from V. I'm like, oh, I yeah, love he, that. oh, Willie, God. He's the man. Willie, he's the good one. Willie, he was the the kind hearted uh, you know alien that uh, everybody else was gross and evil. Yep. We loved him. Um, 1986 would be her last year acting. So, a short time after Jason lives, she just drops out of acting. Um, 
Which makes me sad because, truthfully, she's one of the better yeah. actors in the entire series. Director Tom McLaughlin had this to say about her casting. Jennifer Cook was picked for two reasons. Number one, the f- uh, final Friday girl always seemed to have to be blonde. I think that was Frank Mancuso's desire to carry on the Hitchcock, uh, Hitchcock tradition of the blonde. Number two, in my particular choice, I wanted her to have this 30-40 snappy attitude like Barbara Stanwyck or Gene Arthur was back in the day. Now, for better or worse, a lot of the ladies in the series look like they're straight out of the 80s. Yeah. And as an adult man, you know, 37 years old, some of that kind of works for me. Teen in part seven, can fucking get it. However, Jennifer has sort of kind of a timeless look. And even though, like, some of the surrounding elements are very 80s, you could plop her in a movie today yeah. and, like, she wouldn't yeah, necessarily look out of place. That. Her attitude either. It makes sense, um, but as pretty as she is, her personality seems to set her apart from other Friday the 13th girls. I have a lot to say about that when you get to so, our list. So, that's what we're going to do right now. And we'll do, we'll we'll go through number three, number two, number one. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start so, with me. Start, uh, and do your number three, and then Skull do his yes. number three, and I'll do my other three. My number three is Megan Garris, played by Jennifer Cook, because of all the fucking Friday girls. Okay, she's only number three because she doesn't show them titties, and none of the final girls do, but I wanted her the most to. All the other final girls are virginal, innocent. This bitch is fun. She's breaking motherfuckers out of jail. She's not a wet blanket there just to get badass in the last five seconds of the she's Friday. The, she's the one final girl you could have fucked. Yeah. She she, no, she, she fucks. Fuck you. Yeah. Me- Megan fucks. <laughs> yeah, her. Da- she's not a virgin. She's rebellious against her her uh, you know her sure. father. Daddy. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what's, your, what's your number three, Scott? Alice Hardy from part one. She started all with a strong character from beginning to end, and she takes off Mama's head. That's badass. Harry Knuckles and all. <laughs> Tasso Stravakis, <laughs> a Greek man. <laughs> all right. Uh, who's your uh, my my number three is Megan. Um, for the for a lot of the reasons that Tony pointed out, um, and uh, I'll I'll kind of uh, elaborate on why I think she belongs on the list when we continue. Well, she's uh, on definitely the discussion. most fuckable of the whole list. I'm sorry, I'll oh, fight you. Oh man, I don't know. Not Trish, not from, Trish from, physically attractive, fuckable. Like well, you could get in those pants. Yeah. Accessibility uh, is nice. She but, did uh, shove the head down there. Like she knows what yeah. she's doing. We'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, <laughs> but. Trish in part four, who is not on my list, um, she might be number one in like the ones that I would like most want to fuck, but I digress. Who's your number two? Alice Hardy. Mm. Uh, the only reason she's not higher is I, I didn't like her little bitch out death at the back. I mean, I like the death scene in, in <sighs> part two. She improved all that. Thank like, you, thank you, uh, part two uh, in the Scream Factory edition for giving us that long lost scene where you actually see the ice pick go, go through, through her. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's sexy as fuck. Yeah, I was not like I put that on. I had no idea that was coming. I was like, "Was that? Has that always been there?" there? <laughs> but yeah, no, she's number two. I mean, she is the prototypical virginal innocent like oh you couldn't imagine her you, fucking I don't but know but she does no you I mean there's some flirtation shit with Captain Short Shorts yeah that dude, that dude put his dick on display <laughs> and he was and she was drawing pictures of him so if she wasn't fucking him in real life she was fucking him in but his head she had her the head. best use of fight or flight in the whole series um and it's almost tied with somebody who's not on my list, which is surprising. But I, again, I had a lot of fussing over this. But 
she doesn't just try to run or, or get killed out of the nowhere like a bitch. She turns around and takes that bitch's head off. No, and, and, and mm-hmm. Betsy Palmer, God rest her soul, beats the ever-living shit yeah. out of her. For Legit real. For her. real. Because she came from a stage background yep. and they're like, you hey, 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 bitch, you don't actually, actually have to hit her. We can put in Foley sound effects to make this work. No, sure, fuck that cunt. Sure. <laughs> All right, number two for you, Scott. I went back and forth to one. Number two for me is Jenny. Uh, the smartest, arguably, out that of the entire series. Um, mother's talking to you, confusing the shit out of Mongoloid Boy. I love it so much. Good shit. My number two is Alice. So far, so far, our I think we're going to be different with number yeah, one. Probably. Alice is. I know you my number one. I think they made a mistake in killing her in part two. I think if you'd had yes. her in part two, I think if you'd had Al, her and her and Jenny in part part two, that Ooh. would have been fucking great. But that's beside the point. It is what it is. Um, she embodies a lot of what makes the first movie work. She is very innocent, but there is sort of a little bit of naughtiness in her. It's just never quite played out. Um, I don't like she got killed part two, but uh, <laughs> she's she's great in the first movie. Fantastic number one, one, Tina Shepard. How are you going to not have fucking Carrie as your number one? Holy shit. She's the only one, that, like, yes, her acting's not great. Nah. The movie's not great. But when it comes to, like, fuck you, I'm going to use my telekinetic powers to fuck you up, Jason Voorhees. She's the best final girl. And, you know, yeah, she's a little fucked in the head. You know, she killed her dad. <sighs> But you know, she also she doesn't she doesn't fuck like Megan fucks, but she wants to fuck. <laughs> and I'm down with that. You're, you might be swaying me on my choice. Yeah. No, number two, Scott. I did not think anybody would have Tina besides me. But Tina's my number one as well. Like the whole scene where she was just fucking cracks and the nails and the fire and pulling the fucking porch down, blowing shit up. I mean, he takes it. She's the only person that takes it directly to him. Yeah. Other dude gets his not head knocked off in part eight, but. He tried. <laughs> yeah, that's true. My number one, and is the correct answer, is Amy still as Jenny I from Part I can't two. argue that you're wrong. I, I regret that she wasn't. I spent a lot of time. There was a I lot of time you, she was my number one. Back and forth. And, like, I spent all day on back and forth. She's the only one. one that has no supernatural powers that, sm- that fights him smartly. What took it away from me was the unnecessary dream sequencing at the end uh, uh, hillbilly Jason jumping through the window. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not a cool scene. I just, you don't dream sequence. That's the only thing that put her out of the running. I, I went back and forth with it. Man, that's, that was a staple of the first three movies. They they felt probably compelled to put know, that in there. If they hadn't done it in part two, they wouldn't have wasted it. Jenny part. is great because, awesome. because, awesome. because she also fucks, yeah, she but fucks. You, you don't get to see her fuck, but, but she is sexually she active. Um, she's proactive in the film. Like she's yes. not a damsel in distress. I mean, she's uh-huh. she's vulnerable, but she you jacking off there, Scott. I got carpal tunnel on my hands, dude. Carpal tunnel, gal. Jesus Christ! I'm falling apart, man. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know if like maybe, maybe you're just like getting the motor started. I gotta make, I gotta you make him feel better. Uh, about Butter? a month ago, I sneezed so hard I pulled a muscle in to call into work. So <laughs> yeah, you're not all. It works. We're, we're getting old, but yes. but Jenny's, no, Jenny's I, my number one. I had no argument against it, and I'm not saying you're not correct. But in my <sighs> personal opinion, like Tina. Tina just had the most fun with it. I got one question off the top of the cu- off the cuff, real quick. Who was your least favorite final girl? Three, the chick from Part. Thank three. you. 
Thank you so much. I love that movie. Oh. I can't stand her. her why did she ban from her end? encounter? Oh my god, she drives me crazy. I don't. I don't. Oh, uh, she would. Her. She would be at the bottom, but I would probably put Rennie from Part Eight as my least favorite. Uh, she only gets salvation because of the Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash comics. Yeah, yeah. that's the only reason she wouldn't be my number. Okay. Least. Okay. Going going back to my number three pick, which is the topic of discussion at hand, yes. Jennifer Cook is Megan. For me, one of the big reasons that she stands out from the pack is because she has such good chemistry with Tom Matthews. Yes, she does. And that, and that is the defining characteristic that separates her from the other people in this list because... She has so many playoffs. She's though. the most believable in, in terms of, like, there is, like really something between these two. Because the other ones, it's just people they threw together. Well, and it's yeah, people they threw together. And it's always, I mean, she's taking care of her little brother and shit. That's, that's really good. Yeah, but that's not a romantic That's, not, ro- that's not sexual Not chemistry. that I'm aware of, anyways. I'm Corey Feldman. nowadays. If you throw in the word step, it would have I know been. Corey Feldman did that did that documentary about people getting touched. And I gotta say, if the if the girl who played Tommy uh, Tommy Jarvis, if played Trish Jarvis touched you on set, you shouldn't be fucking complaining about that. I don't care if you were right. 11 Right, you should, but but okay, you're gonna edit this part out. No, he totally shouldn't. Man. Oh my god! All right, so wait, well, I gotta stop you. Did that really happen, or are you just making a joke? I'm just making, making a joke. Okay, I'm like, I'm gonna feel bad if he really was like raped by that girl. No, I'm making a joke. I'm making a joke. Don't take me so seriously. Uh, let's let's talk about the the chemistry that between Jennifer Cook and Tom Matthews. Um, so there, the, the big moment that you have between them initially is Tommy's in the cell. He's been locked away cause he's fucking uh-huh. cuckoo and, and she's like giving him total fuck me eyes yeah. because Lay she, back in the chair. Yeah. Because she, she is repressed because her father is strict. This is a strict authoritarian because of, you know, the whole, and it's a small town. Let's face it. Everybody knows she's the dad, like her dad is the sheriff. So nobody's going to mess with her. Even though she she obviously wants it, yeah, and man, he's not town guy. And then you have later on where he's still in the cell, but they he she kisses him, or I guess he pulls her in to kiss mm-hmm. him, and she totally gets into it, and it's all a ruse for him to be able to get the the laser scope sight, you know, where the right dot goes, goes you bang, you bang. So I, I feel like that uh, that all kind of plays into the, the relationship, but. Um, what do you think, Fat Tony? I do have a thought on this because I have an experience not with a sheriff's daughter, but with a preacher's daughter, and they're always a little bit more wild than everybody else. So again, like you, like uh, Scott was saying, you know, her nobody's gonna fuck with her, you know, y'all, because her dad's the sheriff. She's like the forbidden fruit. Don't fuck with her. The, so she wants it. The she wildest, it. the wildest party I have ever been to. Was at Carson Newman College, which is a Christian college. Yes, it is. And I, and I am not exaggerating. This was like straight out of fucking Caligula. I mean, <laughs> there there was drugs, there was alcohol, there was a dude getting a fucking blowjob in the corner from a girl in a skirt who was wearing no panties. It was awesome. So I, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, the preacher's daughter. I got to go down on her in the back of the church while her dad was preaching. So. They're freaks. Did she, did she see God? 
Did she feel damn good? right? Because I read books. Because I was very young, so I didn't know how to do it. So I read books at the library. I want to. I want to. I want to give a shout out to Nina Hartley. <laughs> Nina, Nina, Nina Hartley, an older, an older porn star. If if not for you and and your uh, steward tutelage, I would know not. I would know not what to do with a woman. And you have uh, you have given me the. You taught me how to to spread them things and look for the little man in the boat and give him a little. I've heard, you know, firsthand accounts of Brandon's prowess, so, you know, he backs it up. Thank Actually, you. Thank you. Thank I'm you. myself. Yep, Scott. With, like, two kids. Th- those, she stole those, your no seed in your sleep. Yeah, they're Greg Osicki's kids. Exactly. It was in the water. <laughs> um, so, Scott, tell us about the, uh, the, the car chase, and specifically the hairy uh, turn. Uh, uh, getting chased by uh, Daddy and his friends, and... Whole enchilada and all that. Pretty guy. Um, Officer Pappas. <laughs> yes. So, like, they are obviously getting caught. Her car is very identifiable. She shoves his f- head down, and he's just like, they keep doing this great thing where they show his eyes, and they show her crotch. <laughs> okay, if you're putting your head down, and you're sitting forward, it would make no sense for your body to be no. turned that way, but I fucking love it. I love that, it. I don't, I don't care how much she contor- forced his con- head that way. Contorting, how much contorting that takes. And this is a 1986 bush. That thing is probably like... like it's like it. It's like fucking uh, Richard Simmons is like... <laughs> White afro down there, but if you can like get through that thicket, the fucking promised land is there. It's like the scary movie scene. Shangri-La. I'm telling you, like that scene. There's no nudity in that movie, but that as a, as a as a 11 year old boy renting that from the video store, I knocked a couple out to it at least. I guarantee it. All right, I think we've verbally fawned over Jennifer Cook more than enough. Uh, so now we got to turn our attention to the real reason that we're here tonight, the hockey mask killer himself. We have C.J. Graham as Jason Voorhees. Um, not a huge resume of acting roles. Uh, he was in Highway to Hell, where he plays Sergeant Bedlam, a.k.a. Yep. the Hell Cop. Love that movie. movie. Really good early 90s uh, horror movie. Um, which you never hear Brandon which say that. Which was short <laughs> supply. It's just a dumb exploitation yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a comedy. And more recently, he returned to the Friday franchise to play Jason's father, Elias, in Vengeance. Um, CJ was not the first choice to play Jason. Now, reportedly, Ted White, who had previously played Jason in the final chapter, was offered the opportunity to return to the role, but he turned it down. Now, White has gone on to say in subsequent years that he absolutely regretted not taking this role. Now, without taking a poll, I'm going to assume that all of us are in agreement that Ted White, as good as he was in Final Chapter, was not the right choice for Jason. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. different type of Jason. Now, the role of Jason would initially be given to a stuntman by the name of Dan Bradley, Mm -hmm. and it was not meant to be. Uh, Director Tom McLaughlin had this to say about Dan's exit from the film. Now, originally, we had a stunt coordinator who was also playing Jason, who was Dan Bradley. We started the movie uh, doing all the daytime sequences, all the things uh, with the paintballers and stuff. So that was all Dan as Jason. Paramount went to the dailies somehow, and I don't know whose decision it was because I was busy shooting, and they said, we're making a change. Well, what do you mean? We're getting a different Jason. Why? Just trust us. We need to do this. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know, Dan was just, let's just say, uh, he was a little bit on the fast side. Um, yeah. There's one scene where he's still in it, and it's the walking scene. And you can obviously see those pants are tied yes. on him. He got a badonkadonk. Yeah, he a thick Jason. 
Um, <laughs> it, it's funny if you think about it, and, and I get the reasoning because, like, I don't, I don't think he's actually like fat, but for considering that he been a, a zombie, a zombie, Jason. well, zombie's a, a tough word. We'll talk about that. Force of nature, zombie, a, 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 undead. I would prefer the term undead because <sighs> he's not eating flesh. He's not whatever. But okay, <laughs> but if he had been rotting in a uh, in a casket for a while, he's gonna lose some mass. Yeah. So when he comes out and he's got a little bit of junk in the trunk, and you know. <laughs> And, and some front butt going on, like maybe maybe he's a little bit too big for the character. Um, so, question off the top of my head: uh, Was Dan Bradley too fat to be yes, Jason? As fat Tony, I have to say yes. What do you think, fat fuck Scott? Oh, dude, I I, it looked hard. like me playing Jason. <laughs> and Not uh, that bad, but it's pretty bad. Hey, say, as like, someone who's actually played Jason, yeah. um, you you looked that was you, awful. You looked it was awful. I feel I feel for you, but you did look more of the part than he did. Did he get to bring a frat boy's nose though? So that was awesome. Is yeah, that, is this at the hunt? At the hunt, yeah. yeah. I made I, I made, was on a platform, and I looked like where I was at. It was genuinely a terrifying spot. Oh, he's in the dark, and then they come around the corner, and he had a uh, a trigger light so he could like pop out. And uh, I would wait for them to like run into me. I was on a little platform, make myself. I was like, I'll play the character, but I better be the right height. So we agreed on a platform. So I was like six nine. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and they ran into me like down here, and then I hit the light, and then they all scream. Yeah. And until one drunk frat boy and his friends came through, and I had to break his nose on my knee. It was funny. And you know what? They apologized to us. Yeah. And he didn't complain, so I didn't have to do any paperwork. So <laughs> no, no, no must, no fuss. Good stuff. Now, uh, nothing against Dan Bradley, um, but I think the switch to CJ was <sighs> absolutely the right move, especially considering the new direction of the character that takes post-resurrection, um, which goes back to Tom McLaughlin's desire to anchor the movie in a more gothic tone of the old Universal films. Tom had this to say, being a huge fan of the old Universal horror movies, particularly Frankenstein, that was the first idea. Let's bring back Jason, but it's got to be a lightning bolt. Now, Jason is resurrected now as a lumbering mongoloid hillbilly. Not as a uh, not as a yeah, mongoloid yeah. hillbilly with a hockey mask fetish, but he's now as a undead killing machine. With he's a, the Terminator. He's the Terminator. Thunder and lightning show up wherever he goes. I mean, uh, Tom McLaughlin had this to say about his decision to add paranormal elements into the character of Jason. The thing I found that the Fridays lacked my form of storytelling was this scene of some kind of mythology, some sense of rules. And if you could somehow maybe follow these rules, maybe you can save the day. It's just like in ghost legends. Jason was never going to be at peace until he was back where he drowned as a boy. So, all right, this is the uh, ultimate question. Just your personal preference. We'll start with Scott because I already know the answer. Living or de- undead Jason, which do you prefer? Undead Jason all day. <laughs> Fat Tony. This is really hard. I'm going to say undead. But Ted White's portrayal in part four almost tips it. I mean, it's 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 49% living, 51% undead. I'm not going to discredit undead Jason, but I'm going to, to err on the side of logic... <laughs> And that be oh, in a slasher movie. You're right. Please forgive me. Yes, I forgot that these were documentaries. Okay. Living Jason has character to him, and I know I don't get don't get indignant with me because I'm going to explain my I'm going to explain my answer because something you can kill who keeps coming back to me is scarier. 
when you get to Jason and he's undead and there's just no hope, you just have to be able to get away from him eventually. That to me robs the film of finality. And even though these films continue, you need a contained sense of finality in these movies. And it just became a recurring effort of like, well, how do we just trap Jason for a while rather than how do we kill him? He just told you how you end Jason. You got to keep returning him to Camp Crystal Lake. And we'll talk about the finality of this movie, but I'm talking about Undead Jason post this movie. They didn't get a chance to try to bring him back to Crystal Lake. At one point, he's in New York, and they that's well, the dumbest they thing They literally ever. put him back in Crystal Lake in the next fucking movie. Yes, and it worked. No, it didn't. Yes, he did. Dude, dragged him down back into the lake. Ah, and then in eight, they look at him wrong, and he pops up on a boat. Okay, I'll give Brandon that. But... I'm not talking about how you end because it's actually dumber if a human Jason takes these catastrophic injuries in two, three, and four and just keeps coming back to kill than an undead no, supernatural. No, no, no. there's no, 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 no to it. Hear, hear me out. Hear me I'm out. Not, hear me out. Mm, he gets an out. axe to the brain in part three yeah. and is fine in part four to kill. All sorts of kids. I have, I have arguments for all of these. I, pre- I came prepared. In part, in part two, he gets an axe to the shoulder. It's a completely survivable, survivable. survivable. Part three, he gets hanged. He has a fucking hump. That doesn't mean he his neck... He gets hung and an axe to the fucking face. He's hydrocephalic, therefore he has water cushion before his <laughs> fucking cranium, so it went through the fucking water and not through the Question. skull. Part four, they kill him. They kill him Question. dead. They kill him dead in part four. Okay. I will give you I, that. I'm, so, so, I'm sorry, I doubted that. In two and three, he survives these. He's doing like triage by himself, throwing himself up and shit, or is he just like sitting there like not bleeding out? He's he's a tough motherfucker. <laughs> okay, for several for every year. <laughs> okay, yeah. And he's I'll tell you right now, yeah, Ted White probably has the best performance as Jason until Kane. But Kane put Thank Kane you. and CJ both put like more personality into that character than I any of the live CJ. ones. I'll I'll say Ka- no. I'm not gonna argue CJ with, played the character the way he should have been. CJ played him like a fucking Terminator. I'm, exactly. like that. Yeah. I'm not gonna argue. Let's let's continue okay. on because we've got a lot of grand characters. I like your arguments though, Brandon. I do and uh, those God were damn well you right. thought out. God damn you right you do. But you're still you wrong. your fucking spot on this podcast you agree with me? Yeah he's up there with a fucking first aid kit in the woods. I'll come to your house take your background and make you watch me record these. Alright now that Jason is undead there could have been the notion uh, of playing the character like a zombie, which I think we're all in agreement was probably the worst thing they could have done. CJ had this to say about Tom directing him to play as Jason. He didn't want too much of a zombie. He wanted uh, that fear and anger and the projection had to be through the body, 100% through the body. Just a simplistic little movement would create fear and at the same time you have to give a little bit of that human thought process so you don't become robotic. Okay. So, Scott, what do you think about CJ as Jason? Uh, he's in my top five. Jason's probably number four, actually. I, I do love the little, the funny touches, like when he rips the arm and he does the... Yeah, the head tail. head tail, like, what the hell? With that a fucking in the Winnebago and yeah, the head tail. Yes, like, what's going on? He does bring some personality. He's not, like, full-blown... One track mind. He's very confused a lot of the times, and I love the way he portrays that through the character. Fat Tony. He's. I. I really like the way he did. He's my third. It goes Kane Hunter, Ted White, him. Uh, like I do like that. He. He's an all business. He is the only again 
the ending, the climax of this movie is the only time in any of the movies that I was held in suspense. Yeah, the the ending of this movie is terrific, and we'll we'll get to it. Trust me. Um, The thing that I like about CJ's performance is the same reason that I really like Dick Warlock as Michael Myers, because there is a machine-like quality to him where he's not it's it's almost like he's not in control of himself he's just he's a he's pure instinct and yeah, a shark in the water yeah a shark in the water he's jaws it's just there's chum in the water he's he's heading things out he's going to make things uh go to come to pass and if you're in his path you're fucking dead. It's not like maybe you can make the argument in some of the other films where Jason sort of picks and chooses his uh, his prey, and we'll definitely talk about one big element with CJ. Uh, but I feel like CJ, probably more than any other Jason, is going to be indiscriminate in fucking murdering you simply because you are there. Yeah, agree. Agree. I know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, you guys have all order, uh, said you're like where you kind of rank uh, CJ. Derek Mears is my number three. I don't know. Uh, I kind of I'm one of those things where it's like they're all my children. Mm. I get it. And I love them all for different reasons. So to rank one over the other, it's really hard. Uh, Ted White will always be my number one. And really? It's, it's really hard to rank Kane anything other than number two. You're wrong. Oh, but but to me, uh, I I might be inclined to put to put CJ at number two on a, on, a, on a given day. But I will I'll ultimately give it to to Kane. CJ has two. my favorite scene out of the entire franchise. Yeah, I have it framed and signed by him. We do, we'll, talk about it. we'll talk about it. We'll talk about yeah. it. We'll talk about it. Um. Uh, in 2021, the idea of an undead Jason is not foreign to us. However, in 1986, this was another major departure from you know the previous films, and it stands as the only movie in the entire series uh, where not only is there no nudity, but this is also the only movie in the series where there are actually kids at the camp. Yeah. Yep. So, Fat Tony, does this raise the stakes beyond the other? Yes, films? absolutely, it does, and it gives a couple of like really good jokes and. Like, yes, absolutely. Like, you, he doesn't directly kill kids, but if you, if they got in his way, they would have been toast. Okay, well, we'll talk about that in, in a little more detail, but I want to get your take first, Scott. Uh, does this raise the stakes from the other films? Oh, yeah. <laughs> little kids the entire time? Like, you have that level of innocence there that's never been there before. And it's not that they're just kids. They're little kids. They're little kids. Like that, eight or nine. Yeah. Like my, my children's age. Um, having children at the camp raises the controversial question. And I'll start with Scott. Without intervention, would Jason have killed kids at the camp? No. I, that's why I love Jason more than Michael or anybody else. Like, there's that scene in the new, the, the most recent Halloween film where he stops and looks at the baby and everybody's like, oh my God, he's going to kill that fucking baby. I, I'm, I did not think for a second that Jason was going to hurt any one of those kids. I give I give them credit for restraint, but he should have killed that fucking baby. We I would have killed that did. baby. We it would have been easy. <laughs> we do not know if he did. He just left the house. Um, and there was no straight baby after that. Uh, he didn't kill that baby. We don't know. Fat Tony, what do you think? Okay. Those kids did not get in the way. Had they gotten away, he absolutely would have just smacked him aside with a machete and not thought about it again. Man, I, I, I usually you and I are pretty on on board for things, and I think my short answer is no. 
To me, Jason isn't. To me, Jason isn't a complete villain. Now he has a sympathetic backstory, which leads him to being somewhat of a victim, and he's not an anti-hero like the Punisher. However, I do see him having Punisher-like moments. Minus, uh, I'm going to stop. You. Here's my reason. He's not going to seek. He's not going to chase those kids through the woods on a boat. He's not going to go out of his way to kill kids, but he was bullied by kids. So no, I'm not saying that's why. No, 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 he no, wasn't. No, he was. Bu- it was he by was, his he, fellow he, campers. He was. Uh, he, he was. was born, he was born in '46, died in '57, drowned in '57. Eleven. So he's eleven. So, uh, but I'm saying if those kids would have interfered in his goals, he wouldn't act. But he's not going to go in there and just start hacking. If they would have like stops, stop, he would have smacked it aside with a machete. And moved on towards his goal. They're not goals. his goal. They're not his target. He doesn't have goals. He has he targets. He went into that cabin of the room full of kids and walked back out, even though he didn't have to. Well, he, did, he did get distracted, though. Yeah, but he walked straight in instead of just, child, bam, child, bam. He's he did, looking that's because, for sinners. Okay. He's looking for the counselors that did him wrong. Okay. In, 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 ter- was- in terms of the story, in terms of the story, he's looking through the window. And he sees Nancy, the little girl who's having nightmares and stuff. So rather than like coming in and like dispensing with the people that are closest to him, he goes directly to Nancy and he's looking at her. Now, me personally, I I can't imagine a situation where Jason would kill kids, even though I agree it would make logical if sense. If they interfere. I'm not saying he's going to go out of his way. If they interfere with his ultimate target, if they get in between him and who he's trying to kill, he's going to do it without a second okay. thought. I'm, going I'm to use, standing strong I, against I, this I'm one. I'm going to use film precedents to argue with you. In part eight, which I know is everybody's favorite, yeah. um, there's the scene with the punks. He doesn't kill those punks. He just shows them his face. Because that's all he has to. Because. They didn't interfere. They did interfere. No, they annoyed. They did that's interfere. It's an annoying. If a kid would have tried to stop him from killing a counselor, he's taking that kid out. It might not even be. A, it might disagree. not be. You're all wrong. You're I'm wrong. Y'all want to suck Jason's zombie dick? He walks straight up to the little kid, and he has every opportunity. Like she, I think wait, that's the worst part him. of it. He should have went hacking from bed to bed the whole. No, no, it that is. establishes Jason as a way better character. No, than me it than Michael. establishes him as a threat because you're supposed to be scared that he's going to kill the kid. I, I think the threat of him that's killing kids makes the movie better, and I'm glad he but, doesn't. But I think, I, but I in my my heart of hearts, I just I I don't think Jason, Jason will kill doesn't hurt animals. He doesn't hurt kids. He hurts animals. No, he. I'm thinking the dog is dead, and then the dog is alive. Well, no, that dog that dog is definitely dead in the movie. Jason, the dog showed up at the end. That's a fucking dream sequence. Yeah. In part two, Muffin, are you sure? Yes, because Jason doesn't like haul her away in the car and everything. Yeah, but that happens. There's two fucking fades between those things. So I no. think there should be a fan film with just Jason and Michael killing babies the whole time. <laughs> Let's get on that. Let's get the most innocent maternity ward. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I'm right. not saying he would seek oh them my out. God. Okay, well, another one of the elements uh, of Jason lives is sort of a departure is that in kind of giving Jason Jason Jason, Jason, Jason a mythology is that it gives you a clear 
path to victory and be, being able to defeat him. So let's talk about uh, the the or I think personally is the the most satisfying means of dispensing Jason, even though it's probably a little less spectacular than some of the other ones, but part four in particular. Yeah, no, it's hacking. great. It makes great movie sense. And that is, I'm sorry, the most suspenseful sequence in the entire series. And y'all can say what otherwise. I'm not going to argue with you. I he's agree walking you. straight into that fucking... That, that's the only time I ever watching those movies I got scared. What do you think, Scott? The ending? Yeah. Uh, over the boat, walk straight toward... And yeah. The fight on the boat where he breaks fire. the boat in half and shit. God, yeah, it's... It's it's up there with part seven me as far as spectacularness, as far as explosions and shit, like not the daddy coming out, but everything before that leading up to it. <laughs> I was never yeah. suspect. I love part seven. She's my number one final girl. Come but on, him was- blowing the house up like that destroyed cameras and she was amazing. I'm not. I'm saying it wasn't scary, but the. Yeah, none yeah. of it was scary. Part yeah, it wasn't scary. Yeah. I'll give that part four as well because he he hauled ass. God, yeah, part four was also pretty good. It'd be number two, but, but part one fucked me up. I didn't. I wasn't scared up until the point where he jumped in the fucking boat and broke it in half. They were both fighting over that, and then the. Oh yeah, but after I found out they were doing shooting in a pool, it kind of takes it away yeah, from me. It, it was shot. It was <laughs> shot in two different places, or actually, I'm sorry, three different locations. Underwater shots were filmed in a temperature-controlled tank in Los Angeles. The above water uh, were shot uh, at the Georgia Lake where they filmed at the camp, and the motor uh, motorboat thing into the, uh, the neck, and of course, cuts through the mast. That was shot in Tom McLaughlin's father's swimming pool, which actually ruined the, the pool filter. filter. <laughs> yeah. All right, what do you uh, what do you give this kill? Because uh, I guess technically this is Jason's kill. Oh, as an ending, instead of a like, it's of all of them ranking them, or just out of ten, just out of ten, nine out of ten. Scott, I'll give this a ten. This is probably my favorite I mean, Jason yeah. death I, for the entire franchise. I gave it. I gave it a ten. Um, it was definitely worth ruining the pool filter. Yeah. Um, great kill scene. But the reason I give it a ten is because this is the one that makes the most logical sense in terms of the movie it's presented in. Like Nightmare Three's ending. Because I hate the ending of Part Seven. The ending of Part Seven is dumb. <laughs> uh, like Daddy coming up and like I don't like that Daddy's the not a rotten skeleton. They it, should have a skeleton pop out. It's of the water. so it's, cool. It's better than Part Eight, which is fucking makes no sense. Awful. He's a child. Let's so, raise him. So, that's so, like that's logic. what I want. I want H two O from Part Eight. Part Eight. He's a child. Friday man. ending is as dumb to me as Friday Four. Here's your so reflection. Good. Oh, you mean it. Nightmare 4? Yeah. Did I say that? You, say, you said Friday 4. 4. Yeah. Wait, and we, and, and we love Dream Master, but I that, love that, that, that ending movie. is so fucking stupid. Yes. Look at you. Look I think the yourself. parallel here is that um, a lot of people hold Friday 6 in the same regard as they maybe do like Nightmare 3. And one of the thing they have definitely in common is that they both have really strong endings that make logical sense for dispatching your boogeyman. And in the, the context of the franchise, that's where they both kind of get fun. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Absolutely right. There's that perfect balance between fun and horror instead of. No, I'm sorry. I will say Nightmare Three is better than Friday Six. Fight me on it. To me, it's an apples and oranges yeah, thing because it just depends on what kind of mood I am in that, that particular. Is, yeah. I've watched Part Six more. I'm more of a Jason fan than a Freddy fan, though. So, 
Well, this is the podcast that, that Freddie built, so even though I may lean in real life a little more towards Jason, for the purposes of this podcast, we owe everything to fucking Freddy Krueger. But we'll move on. Jason's death would be temporary, as it always is, uh, but the people were about to the list, they weren't so lucky. So right now, my blood and guts oh, lust yeah. is through the roof, so let's check out our victims. Number one, Ron Palillo who you'd best remember as Arnold Horshack on Welcome Back, Cotter, uh, played the role of Alan Hawes. Uh, Alan tags along with Tommy to the cemetery, intent on burning Jason's body once and for all, even though they said it was cremated in part five, blah, 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 blah. Um, ultimately, um, evil never dies, and Jason rises from his grave, and he sets his sight on Alan. Alan whacks him with a fucking shovel. Jason turns around, and with one clean motion, Jason punches straight through the motherfucker's chest yeah. and rips out his heart in the process. Now, there is a an extended version of this scene that was not put in the film where the heart plops to the ground and, you know, it gets one little, little you know, but, uh, you know... MPAA, huh, the '80s, a slasher movie getting ripped uh, ripped up the ass by the MPA. What a what a novel concept, uh, Scott. What do you give this kill? I give this an eight because anytime you call him all motherfucker, it's a good time, and it's the first kill for the movie because it's the whole thing for me. I give it a ten out of ten because now this isn't quite fair because this is taken out. It's that it's Horshack from Welcome Back, Potter. <laughs> I think that it's adds that, to it. That yeah. adds to it to me. That's why it's the first kill. I mean, it goes. It shows you this Jason ain't fucking around. Ted White's fucking Freddy wouldn't. Jason. Jason, no. damn it. That last little shot got me. <laughs> he might crush heads. And project eyeballs toward the screen in 3D like I've seen. Well, that wouldn't but, uh, that wouldn't have been yeah. Ted White. That, no, I'm that just saying. I'm saying Ted White. You know, was the probably the most savage. In oh yeah, the mo- the most intent on killing people. But this one shows you that he is supernaturally powered. He rips through a motherfucker, rips out his heart. Well, just like uh, King Kong and Kong versus Godzilla, the original one, not the not the new one. He gets struck by lightning because more powerful. Yeah, um, that one's pretty fucking good too. I gave this. I gave this a nine out of ten. This is how you start off a fucking Hell slasher yeah. movie. Hot damn! This scene kicks ass. So without yes. reservation, shit. we're all re- raising it pretty high. Nine out of ten. ten. Number two, camp counselor Darren, who's played by uh, the well-known character actor Tony Goldwyn. This was his very first uh, movie role, by the way, and he's oh, going on to have that? a long yeah. career uh, character actor in, in Hollywood. However. Yeah, he he wasn't uh, so well known back in 1986, but you know now he's well known. Uh, Darren is joined by Elizabeth, who is played by Nancy Jean McLaughlin, who at the time was married to director Tom McLaughlin. The duo are on their way uh, when uh, Elizabeth slams on the brakes because Jason is blocking them in the road. At a moment. Um, Elizabeth quips, I've seen enough horror movies to know that any weirdo wearing a mask is never friendly. Attempting to be a good husband or boyfriend, we don't really know. I didn't look for rings. It's a slasher movie. Who gives a fuck? Um, Darren gets his gun from the glove compartment and he confronts Jason. He shoots Jason, but it's too late because Jason plunges the metal fence post that he got at the very beginning of the movie into Darren and flips him over his head. Fat Tony, what do you give this kill? Six and a half out of ten. Scott. I just you know it's it's a good standard it's fun it's it's nothing 
I don't want to be mean. It's not special, but yeah. I gave it a six. The the sparing is a classic, but just toss him over the shoulders. What raises it a little bit higher? For me. I I also gave it a six out of ten. Um, if he had just speared the guy, I'd probably be way lower. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's the the, the, the it's flip over. Uh, it, it's that's it, that's really good. Uh, number three, Elizabeth sits in shock in her car, um, but her idleness is temporary as Jason plunges the fence <sighs> post through the windshield. Now. They very nearly killed Nancy she in this shot died. because uh, they're aiming for one part, but because the the uh, windshield broke, it mm. caused the the fence post to actually reach a trajectory, you know, into a different part of the car. It so went right after her, yeah. Do you want to talk about? I mean, they got divorced eventually, but you want to talk about grounds for divorce? <laughs> fucking stabbed me on a fucking movie set. Um, Elizabeth runs from the car, pulls out her wallet in an attempt to bribe Jason, but. Only for Jason to be gone. So you have that nice, like a, a good suspenseful moment where it's really quiet. She sits speechless, but then two feet plop down into the uh, the mud hole with her. She gets stabbed, and she's uh, both drowned and stabbed simultaneously. And then you have the infamous moment, yeah. which was intentional. Excess. Yes, American Excess rather than American yeah, yeah. Express. Don't leave home without Don't it. Don't leave home without it. That that's one of the the most forward thinking moments of like let's leave this moment uh you know sort of quiet for the one person who will make the joke, yep. make everybody laugh in the theater. That's just that's good stuff. Uh, Scott, what do you give this kill? I give it a 7 cuz it's like the first time you really get maybe the first time you get Jason doing the teleport. He's there in front of her, very obviously there, and then just gone, and then he's there again, and it's 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 the whole thing of the stab, and I gave it a seven. I like it a lot. Fat Tony, seven out of ten because of the attempted bribe. You never see that in any of yeah. Never like oh I'll fuck you. Just leave me no money. Yeah, nobody tries any other. Everybody runs and dies. She's like I got money. If uh, not to de- derail the conversation, but if part eight were made now and you had like the uh, the mean streets of uh, New York and there's the, you know the parts they would be like I'll suck your dick if you don't kill me. <laughs> you want some tar? Suck <laughs> dick for some tar. Um, I gave this a seven out of ten. Um, this is a very memorable kill, but a lot of it has to do with just the way that it's the way oh, the yeah. shot is framed, and then you have uh, you know the insert shot of the cards moving away, but then you have the wide shot where it's just Jason standing over, and then you just have the bubbles kind of pop into the surface. Very very nice, Nancy. Uh, they gave her a regulator. So she could breathe under the water. The problem is, is that because the the, the water was clogged it, it. it clogged it, so she had mud like going down the so back he of her really throat. Really tried to kill her. A yeah, lot uh, we we may be onto something, Tom. You might be under investigation. I don't um, attempted murder. Is there a, is there a statute of limitations? Probably. On? If if she didn't die, then probably. She ain't played. Uh, yeah, she just divorced and probably took everything. So uh, well, there you go. Well, maybe that's maybe that's maybe she made sandwiches better. Or I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We don't know his side. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's true. What what does she do to you, Tom? Uh, number four, character a- uh, actor Wallace Merrick plays the role of Bert, uh, the angry, uh, sexist paintball player. He's been shot during uh, the paintball game by a woman, which doesn't sit too well with him. So he takes his machete and he's hacking away at the foliage. And um, 
he he has uh, the classic line of "Dumb broad should have stayed in the kitchen where she belongs." <laughs> and uh, as he pulls his arm back, he is grabbed by Jason. He's flung into a tree. Bert's face smacks into the tree where there just happens to be a carving of a smiley face. Um, you know, blood runs down. The camera cuts to Jason raising uh, the machete, only to discover that the arm is still attached. Now I want to put one little. Uh, derail in this. When I was a kid, I, I thought that when his face hit the tree, yeah, it made the smiley face. Yeah. And that was so funny. As an adult, if I still believe that, I probably would be <laughs> a little harder on this than I than I am now. But I, I'm going to give my rating... This is a 10 out of 10. This is creative. This is funny. It doesn't detract from the seriousness of Jason, but it does allow you just a temporary moment of levity when he tilts the head and looks at it. This, is, to me, is like a quintessential... This is like your demo reel moment for Jason. Like, this has to be involved, you know, if you show the highlights. So, Scott, what do you think? I gave it a 7 because it does kind of it does set the tone of the funniness slash the the goriness of the film. The reason why it's low for me is because it reminds me of a lot of the shit in Freddy vs. Jason, where it's that fast cut thing they like to do a lot, where it's like the body goes flying really, really fast, and I hate that. So I, that memory just sticks with me. Ten out of ten because I'm old enough to have seen this movie enough not to compare it to a movie yeah. I also saw as an adult. <laughs> I hate that movie. For the right, right we're gonna fight. But, no, I agree with the throwing, the body throwing. But anyway, no, 10 out of 10, because it sets the tone for the comedic tone of the kills. And, yes, as a child, I also thought, like, hi, his face made a smiley face. Not realizing it. And you're probably right. Watching it now would have been harsher. 10 out of 10, I totally agree. Number five, number six, and number seven. During paintball, Katie, who is played by Ann Ryerson, manages to shoot Stan, who is played by... um, Matthew Faison, and Larry, who is played by Alan Blumfeld, knocking them out of the game. Uh, Katie's jubilation won't last because Jason drops from a tree and decapitates all three victims with one slash from his machete. This scene, they they made, uh, they had realistic heads, and they had uh, mechanical bodies that would, like, buckle at the knees, and it got cut from the fucking film, and Gabe Bartolos, the uh, special effects artist who made this, didn't know about it until literally they were in the screening room, and someone tapped him on the shoulder and was like, oh yeah, by the way, they ruined your scene. That being said, um, what do you give this kill, Fat Tony? Five out of ten. I mean, it's cool, because it they jump out, it's a three for one, but you, you don't see it, they did fuck it up. And it's just a bam, bam, five out of ten. Scott, I'm torn on this one. It should be like a, it should be a nine, but due to the way they fucked it, I'm just gonna give it a three. It's literally just three bodies dropping. I I gave it I gave it a little more. I gave it a seven out of ten. I'd rank it higher if it were presented in the unrated cut. Uh, but to me, this is just this is Looney Tunes violence, and I it's just fun. Yeah, it's the implication more than the the actual kill. I guess is why I'm ranking it higher. I do have a little piece of trivia, uh, however, about Matthew Faison, who plays the role of Stan. He has a unique piece of trivia attributed to himself because he appeared in both uh, a Friday the Thirteenth film and also in Freddy's Dead, which is both happened to be the sixth entry of both of those series. So, um, definitely the downslope for Freddy and then, you know, probably the plateau for Jason, but uh, that's still kind of a cool little piece of trivia. Uh, Number eight, we have Cemetery Caretaker Martin, who is played by Bob Larkin. He's out night drinking, as we often do. Hell uh, yeah. Drunkenly saying, where'd the road go? Takes a swig of his hooch and prophetically states, 
You'll be the death of me. Martin tosses the bottle behind him, but then there's no sound of it hitting the ground because Jason has caught it, breaks it, and stabs him with the jagged edge of the glass. This is one of the additional kills they filmed uh, because, yeah. you know, the test screening, they wanted more kills in the film. Um, Scott, why do you give this kill? Uh, I'll give it a four. Um, the setup to it is better than the actual kill. The kill itself is just very basic, but the whole... Throw the bottle after he says it's going to be the death of me and just silence and then he turns around. I love that. Well, I gave it a 7 out of 10 because I I didn't pick up on this, as, harsh on as, this. As, a, as a kid. But as an adult, I appreciate because basically he he, he states how he's going to die. Yeah. He's yeah. going to be the death of me and then it's the literal thing. So that's it adds more to the comedy probably more than the, the horror of it all. But I, I, love, I love ironic situations in, in film. I think that's the best, you know, the uh, sort of a defect of a character uh, coming back to bite them in the ass one way or another. So I, I really enjoyed this. Um, uh, I, as a, as a kid, I probably would have given this way, way lower, but you know, 2020 vision, you know, wait, wait, say six out of 10. I like the walking around. Where's the rogo? You led me astray again. You're, you know, you'll be the death. Like you said, the setup. You know, it's it's pretty much a goreless thing, but you know, six out of ten, it's yeah. Fun. I mean, you you, it was one, they they probably they had the the budget to to shoot these things, but not like super super technical when it came to yeah. the special effects. So yeah, it would have been nice to have had you know, maybe a blood spurt from the throat, but it would have got cut out by the MPAA anyways. Yeah, pretty much. Number nine and number ten, Stephen, who is played by Roger Rose, has just popped the question to Annette, who is played by Cynthia Conia, but unfortunately, Stephen sees the aftermath of Martin's death. Stephen rushes to Annette, and they hop on his scooter. What a 1980s thing there. Oh, um, man. And they try to get away, only to be double macheted, impaled by Jason. What do you give this, Fat Tony? I give it again. It's a six out of ten. It's not a great kill, but I like that it's a double kill. Like they've done a couple times in the Friday movies, and the scooter and the overall eightiesness of it. I'm actually gonna on the fly give it a six and a half because it's a little tragic because he just popped the question and they were in love. <laughs> but he, I don't know, and then bam, he, he was kind he of he would have cheated on her on like yeah. his bachelor party. He, Definitely, he, he was only proposing to her so he could fuck her. No, he was going to fuck her, marry her. She was the home wife. Then he had a ton of side pieces. He would have cheated on her. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not. He's pulling it in. I'm not uh, railing against you because he deserves to die. I agree with I you. I mean, I'm glad they're dead. <laughs> I feel a little bad for her because she was dumb enough to believe him, but that's because she was dumb. Ryan's well, Ryan 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 pulled medicine for these two characters. What, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need a, we need a fucking it's side pull. A side pull about their uh, their. Everything leading up to the game killed. Yeah. It's like Remains of the Day, only with less chance. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, why do you give us kill? It's nighttime, picnickers, double impalement on a scooter. I'll give it a five. I mean, double impalement's always fun. I, always, I also gave it a five out of ten. These two are just here to add to the body count. This is another yeah. additional uh, kill scene. Um, uh, both of these uh, actors were... Friends of Tom McLaughlin, so we got him on the cheap. But specifically, uh, Cynthia, um, Kanye, she's married to Vinny Gustafaro, who plays Officer Rick Colon in real life, who we'll talk about a little later on. So that's the interconnection there. Yeah. All right. Number 11, Tom Fridley, who plays the role of Court, and his girlfriend Nikki, who is played by Darcy DeMoss, have a PG-13 at-best sex scene in a Winnebago. <laughs> Court has been instructed to last to the end of the song, playing on the tape deck, 
Uh, but when you know the power goes out, he finishes like a like a fucking championship. Like a he did as he was asked. Song went out. <laughs> uh, he goes to investigate, which allows Jason to climb on board the Winnebago. Court starts uh, the Winnebago and cranks Teenage Frankenstein by Alice Cooper. The loud music allows Jason to grab Nikki and pull her into the bathroom, where he forces her head through the aluminum siding, creating a perfect silhouette of her face. Scott, what do you give this kill? This is a ten. This is arguably one of my favorite kills in anything ever. I love that imagery so much. Uh, it's a perfect ten for me. Fat Tony, eight out of ten. I do like the savages of him just like rushing out and grabbing her, and then the whole. Ah, but eight out of ten. I also gave it an eight out of ten. It's memorable as fuck. Memorable as eh, memorable as fuck. But this is this memorable is ass fuck. This is the point where like maybe just maybe they're taking it a little too far <laughs> into the cartoon. Too cartoony, no. I get it. Yeah, it's just the fact that her it face been is so perfectly. It would have been cooler as a mangled face, like like you could tell, like her nose is crushing. I'm going to actually disagree with you. I think it's coolest in its form. It would have been more realistic in a... In a it would have been more gruesome and realistic in a different form. The whores have to suffer, though. <laughs> I mean, we got to see basically the same thing in Part 10 with the yeah. ice. That, that was I, cool. That's an awesome kill. Yes, that's like probably one of the best kills in the um, world. Anyway. Little piece of trivia, and Scott already ruined this, but Tom Sorry. Fridley is the nephew of John Travolta. Way to go. Yeah, good for you. Um, I, I'm actually I'm friends, friends with, uh, with him on Facebook. Uh, I reached out to him for this podcast. He never replied, so fuck you, John Travolta's nephew. <laughs> Baby Travolta. <laughs> okay, number 12. Unbeknownst to the death of his girlfriend, uh, Court continues driving the Winnebago until Jason stabs him in the ear with a serrated survival knife. We get an awesome echo reverb effect on Teenage Frankenstein <sighs> by Alice Cooper, and then the Winnebago flips, and one of the most badass frames of film yeah. ever laid to celluloid Jason Jason pushes off the door of the Winnebago and stands upon it in the flaming wreckage. That's the image I have signed and everything. I love that image. So, Scott, what do you give this kill? Uh, the kill itself, I just gave a six. It's literally just stabbed everything. But everything afterward makes it a ten. Uh, especially knowing about the cooler on top of the fucking RV and all that. You want to tell that story real quick? Uh, yeah, the this is the last day of shooting. The director, or was it the director of photography or somebody? It was, it was, a, produ- it was a producer or a director of photography? Somebody that somebody, somebody everybody hated on the crew, and he really wanted to take home this really expensive cooler they had bought just for this scene, and so they purposely made it so the fucking cooler would fly off and get destroyed during the flip. <laughs> Just to piss this guy off. I'm pretty sure it was the producer. It was the same guy that, like... Somebody that everybody was, hated. He was nickel and diming the movie, yeah. but then when they needed to do reshoots, because he had nickel and dime, he actually had money left over so they could do it. So, yeah. good and a bad thing, but he was not well-liked, because uh, it was sort of like a... It was like a camp atmosphere. Everybody's, uh-huh. you know, communal and everything. And he was but, the adult there. Yeah, he had to be the adult. What a piece of shit. Fat Tony, what do you give this kill? I give it a six and a half out of ten, only because I like the character so much. It is just a basic kill, like you said. Everything after, I caught like it's badass, but it's a you know <laughs> Rambo knife to the fucking side of the head. Love the knife. I I gave it a six out of ten. The kill's nothing special, but the visual of standing, oh, of yeah. Jason standing when a bego fuck man that that's legend that's Hell legendary yeah. status. All right, number thirteen, Whitney Ryback, who plays Roy, the goofy comic relief character. 
uh, during the paintball scene is found dead, or should I say parts of Roy were found, uh, pretty much just his leg and his broken glasses. Uh, shout out real quick to pretty much everybody in the, um, the paintball scenes. Um, Tom McLaughlin, the director, uh, he, he, before he was sort of, you know, in the, the realm of film, he, he was like a professionally trained mime. So he knew all these people from like theater companies and stuff. So he employed his theater people because he knew he needed good actors and he shot all this stuff up front because he wanted to get ahead of schedule. So this guy plays the comic relief, and I have conflicting I feelings that. about this character even being killed. Um, I gave it a 2 out of 10. It's an off-screen kill, which can be effective, but for me, this falls flat because I'd actually kind of prefer this character have survived. I know. Had a simple, dumb look. I know. I gave it a 4 because this same thing, it's off-screen, but uh, the only reason I raise this high is because I like the guy. So, oh, no, and when he's shooting and Jason stops. and look, look, <laughs> Like, that's all great. But yeah, four at best. I gave it a two. It's an off-screen kill. And the guy, if he were survived, cool. If he died, it's just another number for the body count. Yeah, you're you're pretty much right. Um, number 14, Sissy, who is played by Renee Jones, sticks her head out of a window um, of her bunk. And, um, you know, there is, they think they're all of them are playing, like, pranks on one another. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, pours the can of soda out there. And then she looks out. And then she gets yanked. Um... There's a little bit of a struggle on the ground, but Jason twists her head completely around until it pops off. And then you get a moment where you have a, a digital slowdown. And I fucking hate this. It yeah. sticks out like a sore thumb where it's him holding the head because they had to probably cut so much of the scene out. Rip it up. And uh, you had that slowdown of them holding the shot just to have enough film to be able for it to even be visual. Um, I gave this a 5 out of 10. It's an average kill... Um, but I'll say the, the, the means to an end is really awesome because later on her head is in the cop car and when they open the door, it falls out. So you get a nice jump scare out of it, even though maybe the kill was probably excised further than it should have been. Fucking MPAA. Fat Tony, what do you think? A six out of 10. Basically the same thing. I just, I'm a little more positive than you cynical fucks. <laughs> I've ranked, I've ranked most of these higher than you guys have. So. I've been ranking pretty low. I give this one actually an 8 out of 10 because when he jerks her out of the thing and her slipper slough, Bugs Bunny yeah. style, makes me laugh that, every time. Yeah. That is a nice little and touch. And then he twists the head off, and I really wish it would have left. Because there is a frame of him lifting, and he's supposed to pull the head off. And then I wish I could have seen that whore die longer. <laughs> exactly. what he's saying. Yes, yeah, I, well. I think we're all in agreement that we want to see whores Lord die death. longer. Exactly. <laughs> The shoes flying up makes it an eight for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, number 15, Paula, who is played by Carrie Noonan, is mostly killed off screen. We see Jason savagely slam her uh, through a window at one yeah. point. However, the horrific aftermath is, is vast, and the, the entire bunk is just drenched in blood. Scott, why you give this kill? Uh, I'm torn on this one, too. The kill itself is a three. It's mostly done off screen. Um, but the, the scenes leading up to him actually going through the door, cause she's in the window behind her and follows her the entire way. I love that setup. So I'm three for the kill, seven for everything before and after. Fat Tony, we give it. I gave it a seven cause I lumped everything. He's right. The setup, the lead up, 
and everything. I just, I got, I was generous. Well, I, I split the difference. I gave it a six out of ten. The, the sheer volume of blood in her cabin. <laughs> Technically impossible. Oh my god! Body, it's. But- I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's half, it paints one day the popcorn thing. It paints a yeah. much worse visual than they could have ever accomplished with a kill. So yeah. your your brain fills in oh, a lot Lord, of the blanks. What happened to that poor girl? Um, kind of thing. You know, I didn't I didn't feel like I was ripped off with this kill, even though I guess you could probably make that argument. A, yeah. a lesser being can make that argument. Um, number six, Mike Nomad, who plays Officer Thornton. Number what? Where were we Number six. 16. Okay, 16. 16. <laughs> 16. 16. Mike Nomad, who Back plays Officer turn. Thornton, is searching on the docks with a flashlight in hand where he sport, uh, spots Jason in the distance. From his utility belt of evil, Jason pulls a dart and hurls it into the forehead of Officer Thornton. Considering Jason uh, has that wonky eye, the dude has excellent aim. I gave this a 6 out of 10. It's a kill we don't see in any of the other films, and for that reason, I gave it extra points to despite it being probably nothing special in the overall scheme of things. Scott, what do you give it? I gave it a six as well, not because of the knife throw, but more because that guy sells it like he gets speared by fucking Goldberg. Like, he fucking <laughs> full-on throws himself backward. It's, it's awesome. It's the number of the beast, because I gave it a six as well. <laughs> yeah! Because like, just like you said, you don't often see him reach into, like you said, the <laughs> utility belt of evil to grab some random, like, it's the Batarang, the Jason Rang. So, number yeah, of the beast, 666. It's, it, it's one of those that, like, if I were just to, like, think off the top of my head, I'd probably remember this kill probably more than a couple of the other ones. Um, just, uh... It's something you can use in the damn game, and it's something he's only done one time. <laughs> Good stuff. Number 17, Michael Swan, who plays Officer Pappas. He's the one who's really conceited. Um, He attempts to console the little girl, Nancy. And Jason, unfortunately, places both hands on Officer Pappas' beautiful mug, and he crushes his head. This is another scene that was absolutely murdered by the MPAA, because you actually have this effect where there's a little bit of, like, just like matter that like pops out of the top of his head, and it's you know completely excised from the movie. Fat Tony, what do you give this kill? Six out of ten. Same thing. It's the impact of it, the vi- the visceralness, not the actual kill and the gore. Scott, what do you give it? I give it a seven. Uh, I like the character, uh, the sound that they do leave in, and the blood spray on the mask as it does crack. Nice. It's nice. I was a little harder on this. I gave it a four out of ten, and, and I'm I'm biased because I can't watch the movie strictly as is because I've seen the unedited kill and and man, oh my god, it's so much better. It's than, way slower as he cracks it down. Yeah, it's 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 prolonged. It, there's more of a struggle. It's just the fear in the guy's eyes Look as it's Brandon's happening. Boner right now. I know it's, it's, it's hey, raging. I'm, I'm tipping the fucking uh, table <laughs> over. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I gave it a four out of ten. I. What could have been? What could have been? I'm I'm biased, and admittedly so. Number eighteen, Sheriff Garris, who is played by David Kagan, trips over the body of Officer Pappas, and when he gets back to his feet, he's met by Jason. They have a a standoff, uh, very very western kind of thing. Shoots him with a shotgun, and you know knocks him down. Then shoots him with the fucking handgun. Puts that nice little bullet hole in in the mask. But Jason just keeps coming back. This is the point where you realize like Jason is not going to be fucking stopped by you know human means. This is the moment where he he's he's fully paranormal, you know, the immovable object meets the unstoppable forces. Gorilla Monsoon would say. So 
He's properly pissed off now. Jason folds Sheriff Garris backwards, breaking his back, and leaves him for dead. This is another scene that was massacred by the MPAA. I don't care if it's massacred. It's a 10 out of 10. I fucking love it. What do you give it, Scott? I give it a 9. It's very visceral. This is the one character to me that... He should have survived. He did all the things right. He was a smart cop. He did everything that he should have done. A-C-A-B. But he I, fucked around and found out and got folded over. So it's a nine He fooled around and fell in love with death. <laughs> um, I would have much rather have seen uh, the sheriff deputy, which we'll yeah. talk about. Uh, he shouldn't have died. Officer so Clown. I would rather him died and, and sheriff having survived. Imagine but, him showing up and never hiking, or never hiking the snow. And David Kagan's still alive. That would have been cool. Ain't going to happen now. <laughs> I gave it an 8 out of 10, and yet again, I'm, I'm a little biased because the unrated cut of, the, of that scene is so fucking much better. Um, they achieved this by having him standing in a hole and then yeah. a pair of legs, you know, you know, from the hole the other way, and he just you know bends it backwards. It's an effective, it's an effective scene that uh, I guess uh, they kind of redo in Freddy versus Jason uh-huh. with the bed being. But I think this overall way faster. In that it's way one, faster. Though. I hate the way it's shot in, in Freddy versus so Jason that, because they, they slow down. But I'm sorry, that's the best. That's a ten out of ten kill in Freddy versus Jason. It, it is, but. It's also a kill that has very little weight in terms of like emotion. No, no. This and guy you don't just want, hate him. Yeah, you this don't, guy so is a father. Yeah, you he don't so want to see Sheriff Garris die. Sheriff or at least Garris you, a little bit of a dick. I mean, he I was, but he was a he good is, character. He, he did is. everything right for his town. He was principled. He was principled. He so was a fascist. He had to I'm be. Glad that cop died. <laughs> he had to be the adult. Okay, bootlickers. I'm just playing. Listen, all around, Jason lives has great effects. I think we're all in agreement in that. Oh yeah. And Could I think in, in, in the past, we've done a poor job of probably giving credit where credit is due. People always rave about the special effects in part one, Tom Savini, and part seven, and Beekler and, and those guys. You know, part four's got great effects Savini as well. As well. Um, Jason Goes to Hell, K&B, the effects are oh. fucking terrific in that movie. But we got to give some credit and love to Gabe Bartolos and his stellar work on part mm-hmm. six. I just want to give a rundown real quick on the movies he's worked on, because this isn't like... The who's who of like B movie oh. cinema. Spookies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, From Beyond, Dolls, Gremlins 2, Dark Man, The Ooh. Giver, Brain Damage, Frankenhooker, Back Damn. in Basket Case 2 and 3, Leprechaun 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, and the, the, the In the Hood sequels. Um, oh basically God. every Leprechaun movie. I don't think he works on the newest one, but. Okay. The, 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 the classic ones, Underworld, which is a you know yeah. a, a major studio film. Hey, hey back in cell and skin tight love it. Good. And the best film he ever worked on, Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie. Hell yeah, <laughs> Shrimp. Shrimp. All right, let's talk really quickly about our additional cast. We've got Vincent Gustafaro as Deputy Rip Rick Cologne. Um, he has a cameo in, uh, or not a cameo, but he has a small role in Wes Craven's Shocker. He also plays a cop in that movie. And shout out to um, Adam Green, who wrote the Tommy tapes on uh, the Friday the 13th video game, because his intention, he gives a little a little nod to Shocker, and his his headcanon, which is not officially canon, is that uh, Rick Cologne, you know, leaves... Uh, you know, this area and becomes a cop where Shocker is. <laughs> I enjoy that. That's that's it's cool. cool, but they have different names, so that's 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 strictly. Maybe he changes names. You want to be associated with this? 
He failed at his job. Maybe, maybe I don't know, but well, that's action. it's a cool little cool little nod. But he had a recurring role on uh, New York uh, PD Blue or NYPD Blue back in the day. Most recently, he uh, came back to the Friday Thirteenth series with an appearance in Never Hike in the Snow. So he's now the sheriff. He's taken over from uh, it's the youth line know, again, which is. Wherever the red dot goes, ya bang. Which is probably the most quoted line in the entire movie. Then, I got the whole enchilada. That's With a great line, from, too. Um, office, Officer Puppis. Yeah, because you know, that's the whole scene where they're doing the, um, the, the, the chasing. Chase, yeah. And you got the, uh, the tag. You get, it, you get the tag. I got the whole enchilada. Um, playing the role of Nancy, we have Courtney Vickery. Now, many believe the character of... Nancy being named Nancy is a reference to Heather Landcamp in Nightmare on Elm Street. However, Tom McLaughlin says that he named her after his wife at the time, who plays Elizabeth in the movie. That's a very common name. And and the the reason that he gave her this name is because she was, in his his words, like the most optimistically innocent person he'd ever met. Oh. Like just very very sweet. Like on when they were filming on the movie, she was like kind of like the den mother. She was like very motherly to the people and like watching over them and like, oh, do you need it? You need water? You know, here's some food. That type of stuff. So, Nan- the Nan- the character of Nancy is sort of the embodiment of of her spirit. And um, uh, I don't I don't want to throw shade. She's a little girl. I don't think she's a terrific actress. But the parts where she's like supposed to be scared, yep. she she sells me on the role. Yeah. So. Credit where credit's due. And then we have uh, the two other uh, small kids who have speaking I roles. I fucking love that. That's <laughs> one of my favorite Thomas, scenes in the movie. Thomas Knoll as Tyen. He's the little boy with dark hair. And then we have Justin Knoll as Billy, who is the little boy with like the dark, the yeah. brownish blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have confirmation on this, but I'm assuming by the fact that they have the same last name that they're brothers. Either way... Um, they both add a lot of levity to the to the moments. Like, what did you want to be when you grow up, or what would have you been? Whatever, yeah. however it's phrased. Um, what were you gonna be? That's good stuff. I tell you what's the best stuff in this movie, and the and the thing that all great '80s horror movies have in common, and that's a that is a musical tie-in the soundtrack. So, with that in mind, My legend, legendary shock rocker Alice Cooper, who we've all seen in concert oh, yeah. multiple yeah. times, uh, lent several songs from his album Constrictor to Jason Lives, including Hard Rock Summer in the USA, which plays during uh, the car chase scene, Teenage Frankenstein, which is uh, the, the, scene? the scene, you know, where the... Uh, well, no, it's it's after. It's after. Right? It's after. Yeah, we're driving down the road. The song "Animal" is playing when they're fucking. I'm your animal, animal in you. Do, do, and then my do, wife says, do, "Brandon's do, actually do, doing do, pelvic do, thrust." Do, 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 do. It moved. But I most notoriously, he's back. The man my behind wife the mask. Hates this song so much. I mean, it's not a great. It's great. because of the damn video game. They play it. You can oh. turn the credits and play it. It'll play over and over. So there was a day where I just kept playing it over and over. Oh, so it's your fault. It's my okay, fault it's entirely. That. This got a music video, and CJ Graham great. actually plays yep. uh, Jason in the video, and and I don't. I can't remember a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure that CJ actually appeared on some concerts in con like during that tour with him that's as like a promotional time. So all the same, that's that's just really Hell cool. Yeah. But all with all things considered, we have to have the ultimate showdown of musical tie-ins. Don't for even films. ask me. You know the answer. Well, we're going. We're going to. We're going to have to do it. We have to do it. 
Dawkins Dream Warriors versus Alice Cooper's Man Behind the Mask, which is the more iconic song? Oh, Dawkins no. Dream Warriors. Oh, don't do this to me. <laughs> I'm gonna it's, have to. I'm gonna have to agree with you. I mean, it's it. I mean, I'm not saying I dislike the Man Behind the Mask. I like it. It is not fucking Dawkins Dream Warriors. I will go with Dawkins Dream Warriors. Okay. <sighs> Also, sometimes your sometimes your taste is very poor. Sometimes I will I like to go against the grain. You know, I have taste different than yours. I will put taste um, different from mine or incorrect taste. Would you put trick or treat above this? Above docking? No, I I would put trick or treat. I above love it. I love fast way, but it's not. I love it's, fast It's way. not more iconic. I have that entire. We're album. talking about iconic. I do, I do too. It's not more iconic. Dream Warriors to me that's that's the pinnacle of like a music video. Horror movie tie-in song like there's it's I the mean, cherry. We're also forgetting the Fat Boys, Freddy Krueger tie-in. <laughs> yeah, and Houdini, and Houdini have, from Part Five. And, I have uh, Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff and Nightmare on My Street. That wasn't a, that wasn't a direct tie-in. I know, it's still there. It's a nightmare on my street. <laughs> my wife hates it, and I love that song so much. I vaguely am aware of what y'all are talking about. Like, I love it. I love the Fresh Prince though. And it's yeah. it's it's an enjoyably corny song. So uh, the eyes have it. Yes. Dawkins Dream Warriors, yeah. and, and I, I, I overall, I like, I'm not, I'm not a huge Dawkins fan. I like, I like a lot of what Dawkins has done, but Alice Cooper overall oh, yeah, is Alice the icon. Yeah. Knocks him out of the water. He's the god of shock rock. Oh man, I miss rock band tie-ins with horror movies. Do you think like we'll ever have, you know, another wave of that kind of influence? I don't know about a wave. We'll have a couple isolated things every now and then. Because you just don't see that kind of synergy it anymore. With Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie can't tie into his, his own movies. Yeah. I did that. And I don't hate Rob Zombie movies. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to his monsters. They just started construction on Mockingbird Lane. Did you hear that Kevin Nash is lobbying hard to play? That doesn't need to happen. Who? Uh, the fucking dad and the monsters. He wants to be yeah, urban no. monster? Yes, he no, does. He doesn't need He's to be. lobbying hard for hey. it. I will say anyway. I will say this with uh, with all conviction conviction in my heart. Fuck you, Super Shredder. Hey, hey nobody, he was awesome in Magic Mike. Nobody, Back off. Nobody fucking wants that. I love Super Shredder. He was good in Magic Mike. I'll so give him that. Uh, normally, this is where we do a drink it in man segment, but Jason Lives already has an in universe game, so I thought it might be fun to glance over it just for a bit. So we have the Camp Blood card game. Now, during the course of the film, the character of Sissy suggests that the characters play this card game called Camp Blood. This is how you play the rules you'll need two to 11 players. Um, each player chooses a face card. Face cards represent camp counselors. No one can be the Jack of Spades because that's Jason. Shuffle the cards into decks. Separate them into four equal piles. Each pile represents a cabin. Now, the face cards found in cabins with Jason, they're all dead. One card. Uh, once all the car, uh, piles have been looked into, shuffle the deck and start again. So basically, this is an elimination thing. You're, yeah. you're trying to see yeah. who's, who can survive. It keeps going till uh, one person is left or everyone is dead, which more than likely will happen in this game. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a, a real Friday the 13th movie. Uh, the dealer plays Jason uh, for the bonus rounds. Uh, if there is a survivor, you skip rule seven and eight and take out the face cards and start with a new bonus round. Uh, camp face-off, uh, where the only one player still in the game 
they must play a bonus round. Uh, uh, rules of the bonus game. The dealer becomes Jason and shuffles all the cards except Jokers and the face card. Once the cards are shuffled, Jason and the remaining player must draw one card. If the remaining player draws a card higher than Jason, they live and the game is over. If Jason's card is higher, the remaining player dies and the game is over. You and your friends are dead. Game over. If both Jason and the remaining player card draw the same card, those cards are set aside and they draw again. Um, note, if you are caught cheating, your card is removed from the game and you will not get to play until the next game. Um, this might take a little bit of remembering, especially if you're uh, drinking, because <laughs> yeah. this is more complicated than it probably uh, probably could be. But um, this sounds like fun. I, I actually wouldn't mind trying this, you know, at a, at a oh, gathering yeah. of friends at some point. All right, guys, I, I think we've covered Jason Lives very well. Do you guys have any closing remarks? Like anything that we didn't cover, you want to kind of. You know, Jason would have killed those kids if they got in his oh way. Oh, my God. That's the hell I die no. on. He's not going to seek them out. But if they got in his way, he'd just step on them without a second thought. Totally disagree. Uh, I, I just, I, I, when I, when I'm ranking these films, like it is really sometimes just like which way the wind blows. But, Pretty much. But, but part four and part six are always going to be, oh, yeah. in like the number one or number two spot. Like it's, it's always going to be that way for me. I will be six, seven, four, seven, six, four. Four will always be number three for me because it's the one where he's alive and Ted White is genuinely scary Set. and he hauls ass. Seven's never going to compete. I love Seven. Seven's I love fun. Kane. I'm not I love saying. the special effects. I Seven love... can't compete in this rarefied that's, realm of four That's and why six. I'm different than y'all. That's why I bring he's something a baby. different to you're he's a fucking, a baby. You're a baby. You're a fucking baby. You're a baby. <laughs> Which, he's getting all the old man diseases, so... <laughs> It shows I partied way harder than y'all in my yeah, 20s. Yeah, yeah. And look at me over here with a perfect Adonis body with no <laughs> with no, with no problems. Uh, it's going to be hard at 40. Hey, I'm going to go touch your ceiling. Let's see you do that. Oh, I just have to stand on two fucking stools. I'm short. I would jump, but I can't. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, being this is our, our fourth year anniversary and... Man, what a fucking ride. We're beginning our fifth year doing the podcast. This is absolutely incredible because I, I myself never thought it would go this far. And, you know, now we're with Project Louder and we have a way bigger listening audience than we, than we did before. Not that I want to discount the, you know, the, 8,000 plus subscribers we had prior to moving and we're now over 10. It's, it's all it's, sexy, sexy and, beast. And incredible. I, I want to thank each and every one of you that continue to support this podcast. Um, uh, spend some more money. That might help, but I do appreciate it if you just <laughs> listen. Um, so I just want to just talk a little bit about, you know, the podcast and, and particularly over the past four years, but we'll kind of condense it, uh, singularly too, as well as just past year. What's your favorite episode of all time that we've done? Diamond Two. I I would, uh, man. It's, look, it's it, between that, that and the Exorcist. I, and I was really drunk and right after my mom died, so I started slurring. And that's all. It's not my mom dying. I can pick up where I'm slurring, trying to make a, a cogent point. Nightmare Two is my all-time favorite. I think that that was the moment where 
the podcast kind of like shifted gears like shit. Like we have we're a, talking seriously. We know about a we know our we know our formula now. We had a, an awesome interview with Jack Shoulder, courtesy Hell of the yeah. people at Central Cinema. And I want to want to point point something out. I want to point something out because I will never get credit for this. Jack Shoulder and Mixtron are going to be working together again. The first time they worked together since the Hidden, and they would not be in contact if not for me. So I am taking one hundred percent credit for that. I won't get credit for it, you know, on IMDb or you know, Wikipedia you have or anywhere. Credit for but, it in our hearts. But those who know uh, know that I got that. Scott, well, what's that was enough? You know, what's uh, what's your what's your favorite episode? Probably still the first one I did. Kiss and family party. I mean, it was a fun thing. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. I'm glad you had fun it was in that. Fun. Horrible bands. It was horrible an, movie. Hey, what the fuck? I know. Calm yourself. It is a great, They're terrible adequate. movie. Stunt, black stunt ace and us just giving the whole film crap the entire oh, time. It was that was a good time, and, and now I mean, so the, we were innocent the, then. The podcast has come full circle because now that we have rants after dark, we're able to sort of do what we were doing before. But we're also giving these really in depth and, yeah. and, and somewhat serious sometimes because yeah. we still like to have our dick and fart I guess jokes. Very serious, but we take the films seriously and we're, we're dissecting them from an analytical point of view. But then we get to watch them and just have fun. And I, you know, I can't help it. I'm an over preparer, so sometimes you know I. I come up with more than we need and and we digest from like whatever we're watching but that's just that's my cross to bear i can't help it i like to i like to be prepared um but uh another one that i had that i really had fun doing uh and we'll, we'll definitely continue it on was heavy metal march madness hell yeah um oh, that was great. yeah Wow, I totally forgot about that because it was just—it felt like just us sitting around. I didn't even realize we were being recorded half yeah, the time. It's it's just fun. That, that's you know, I mean, it goes back to just conversations we've all had yeah. independently with yeah. one another on the road, like to and from concerts. What blah blah blah? What do you think is better? And just it's just us sitting around talking. So I like that. Uh, what do you from the just from the past year? What do you what do you think our best episode has been? I'm going to say this after hearing this recently. Our best episode, you and I. Human Centipede 3. Let me, let me, let me <laughs> specify why. I now have a new uh, vernacular oh. in my term when I talk about drunk, but not Human Centipede 3 drunk. I read two movie reviews that are quite long at the end of that, that when I got home, I'm like, oh, damn, Brandon, we forgot to read these reviews. It, it wasn't the amount of alcohol that we consumed. It was it's the a, amount, the, the, time the amount of it. alcohol we did it in a short amount of time. That's like an hour and a half movie. And, and, we, and I'm we, constantly... And, we both drank independently a bottle of vodka. Yeah, a pint of hundred proof vodka in less than a, like it ended like I don't remember how it. Like I said, I did. It's not like I blacked out because I'm like, okay, we're done. Let's go in here and watch Sleepaway Camp too. And Brandon outside puking while I'm on the phone, dude. That was the most fun. I did. I'm. I'm. I'm I will fully cop to like it. Like a champ. I did. He's like, hello. I got puke. And he nice. saw like he broke or he just turned his head. And it was it. it was fucking beet red because I was drinking code red Mountain Dew. And that's Blah. what that's what fucked me up was that was <laughs> the sweetness. it was the Mountain Dew that got me. And Mountain Dew is usually like the perfect chaser, mm-hmm. but the code red, it was something about that 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 color in there. I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk that up because a, a true son of Odin wouldn't vomit. <laughs> we just I, like I made it like like no, that's my favorite we've done this past year. Well, and uh we're going to get to our, our reader or listener poll, yeah. um, but you were on the one that I liked the most this year. What was it? Maniac. We haven't done Maniac. Uh, Maniac. Yet. Um, mayhem. Mayhem. Yeah, I love the intro. The intro made me laugh, cry, uh, and yeah. I loved y'all's break. It was 
like I had fun listening. Like I listen to you guys in the shower, just letting you all know that's yeah, how I listen to that please. That's the only place I want you to listen, listen to, to my that. Voice. And my good friends over at Wrestling Ruin while I'm in the shower, getting ready for work every day. And <laughs> you know, I like to hear my friends talk while I scrub myself down. And the Mayhem episode, y'all made me laugh genuinely several times. I well, I, thank you. I guess. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, it's like hanging out with my friends. We won best podcast at Southern Screams for Woo. for our our episode Child last play. year, our three year anniversary episode. That that's an incredible I'm achievement. Right there, yeah. Shoving that in all my stepchildren and old lady's face. Like, yeah, yeah, I, we're winning. Here we are a year later. Um, although, like, we didn't. It's been fairly recently that we actually won, but the, yeah. that episode was a year later. But man, I I I've. I listened back to it, and I, I gotta, I gotta agree to a point that like it is one of the better episodes we've ever done. Oh, hell yeah. We talked about you know the the stuff that happened. The, there was those killings, you're, and they they used child's play as a my little buddy doll. It's a heartbreaking story. Yeah, or Mother, my buddy, not my, my buddy, little buddy, my buddy ended up in the fucking in the uh, yeah in, in, the, the, in, in the attic because I couldn't I couldn't stomach him looking at me at night. That's a good episode. <sighs> But as far as what our feelings are, the one that truly matters is the one that I presented to you out there in the Rant Army in our Facebook group. And every year, man, it's a fucking clean sweep. Freddie always dominates. And this year, we got a little bit of Jason thrown in there. So, Freddie versus Jason, one hour, oh, hour reader. Okay. I, was, I was afraid it's Halloween 4 again. Do you know? Do you know? Well... It's only applicable yeah. for the year, that, okay, for yeah. just this year. But I, I have to imagine the reason that this episode was so beloved is because, man, we had a stuck, stacked fucking lineup Hell of people. Yeah, we did. So I want to thank everybody, and I, I will invite you guys to throw in your, your thanks as well. But I want to give a thanks uh, to Stank, Stank Dick Eddie, Titty Flip, and Travis. They're my cohorts over on Wrestling Ruin. But I mean, they, they started their podcasting journey on this podcast. And, um, Two of my best friends. I love those guys. Um, TJ Bowser and everybody at ProjectLouder.net. Uh, they gave us a platform, and you know we're we're just you know barreling down the road like a juggernaut. So thank you so much. I obviously got to thank Mick. Mick is a first round ballot pick for our Hall round? of Fame. Yeah. Uh, he's he's consistently uh, supportive, and uh, we're finally going to get to hang out. Uh, Coming up soon, he'll be in town. So, looking forward to hanging out with you, Mick. Um, Joe Lynch, ah, the greatest intro that we've ever yeah. had on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Made me laugh, cry. He he was so nice, but he was so <laughs> reluctant to do it because he did not want to come off as an asshole. I was like, no, I want you to like fucking go nuclear on us. Yes. And so he 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 figured out that it was a joke, so he had fun with it. And so thank you so much, Joe Darcy. Oh my. Beating heart, be still. Um, I I cannot thank her enough because she was an early adopter of of this podcast. Followed us when she absolutely did not have to. That's when I was still running the Twitter. She I was actually retweeting and responding, and I was like, "Whoa, that's weird." Yeah, nothing but love to Darcy. Um, I've you know I've talked to her a handful of times on Twitter, and then I actually have her email address. And I have been hard not to abuse that privilege, so I I, I won't miss Darcy um, unless I get super super desperate for a super for, drunk for a no and I would never on I would never do that if I if I need if I needed something podcast related I, I would I would reach out to her but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't abuse that privilege because I don't want it taken away from me no yes. spoilers but I have reached out to her personally about six months ago and I've been working with something so. 
We'll see if that pays off in the end. Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell you anything about it, though. We'll we'll see. That would be whatever it is. I will be greatly appreciative. Uh, Brad Jones, the cinema snob. God, oh, hell the, yes. yes. The fucking story of how this even came about is not even necessarily podcast related. He did an episode. He did he did an episode about a fan film of Friday the Thirteenth, and it was like a uh, when it was set during Christmas time. And he used a piece of artwork that I had created, and it was on DeviantArt. And uh, he, you know, like, hey, that's my piece of art. Like, not saying, like, take it out of your video or anything, but like, hey, that's my piece of art. He's like, oh, this piece of art's awesome. So he followed us probably. He's like, oh, please don't tell me to yeah. to, to take it for away from my <laughs> thing. But all the same, he's been really cool to me every time I've talked to him, really down to earth. And so is Tony Peluso from Hack the Movies. Um, I hooked up Tony with... Um, with fucking uh, the director of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Jack Shoulder. Jack Shoulder, and he did an episode that has been fucking copyright flagged by YouTube, so they yanked the episode. It may be up by, by now. I'm not 100% sure, but because I got him that, he was kind enough to do it, you know, the little thing for Freddy vs. Jason for us. So, Tony, he's really cool. I I will fully uh, use my talents to get him more as he as he announces episodes he's going to be doing. So, Nightmare 4 or Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, I'll get you Mick. And then, you know, Synergy, my friend, will we'll hook you up. Uh, Ira Hyden gave us an introduction for Nightmare 3 episode. Really nice. John Brennan, genuinely one of the funniest people on the planet. Music man for the last drive-in. He hooked us up with uh, some audio for the te- uh, Toxic Avenger episode, right. as did Mark Torgel, who gave us an introduction for free. And uh, for the record, a lot of these people want money, and I, I have a no-pay... Uh, you know, stipulation because I am broke constantly. (laughs) But, um, because I only asked for an introduction rather than an interview, he did it for free. He didn't have to do that. So thank you so much, Mark. That was awesome of you. Christina Klebe gave us an introduction for, uh, the Halloween, uh, film and I got to give a, a big, big shout out to Lee McCoy who gave us audio for that uh, episode. But, where I was going to spend money is I wanted to buy ad space for his Drum Dums YouTube series. Yeah. And he was like, well, you know what? Let me listen to your podcast. And if I like it, I'll give you press for free. Yeah. So the reason that Halloween 4 is our most downloaded episode is specifically because of Lee McCoy. Because he played a snippet of audio on his channel about it. And thank you, Lee. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you need anything, I will, I will get down on bended knee and uh, and, <laughs> and, and kiss the tip if necessary. It, you uh, you've uh, ingratiated yourself that to that degree. Alex Vincent and uh, Catherine Hicks absolutely you know didn't have to be involved with our Child's Play episode, yep. but they did. Thank you so much. Brian Usna had a really good interview with him. Um, that was a that was a fucking mind trip because man uh the director of so many fucked Classic. up awesome movies and he was so candid with me we we went down the rabbit hole and I actually had to cut that interview down for time which which sucks but that's just the that's the thing and I, hopefully we'll have him back on the podcast eventually down the road cuz I'd love to talk about society Oh, oh good, yeah. good, good stuff. And then last <laughs> but not least Kathleen Kenmont uh who gave us an introduction for return of a return, but a bride reanimator. You guys got any personal shout outs you want to give? I want to give Brandon the shout out. Yeah. I want to thank Brandon for this. I I joke. I live with the, the like, I love my family. You know, they like me. This is a place I get to come and just nerd the fuck out. C O M E, not C U M. No, both. Bo slash. C U M. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
but no, it's like it's a lot of fun. Brandon puts a lot of work into this, and I just get to come drink and do like, hey, I'll make the goofy fart jokes and occasionally have good insights like I did in uh, Nightmare 3. With uh, oh, the brain yeah. development you, dude, you and stopping one. the powers, I drunk blind, sneaking drunk, and did it twice. Yeah, that that was uh, that was a moment of like where like God cracked the ceiling was like my my son, you've there was you've, no you've hint, achieved Nirvana. There was no hint of, of humility in that. I'm like, holy shit, I just thought of that. I'm, I'm a, awesome. I'm a goddamn genius. And he was like, well, fuck you. And then he went back to his cloud up in heaven. And that's why they deleted it. We had to do the whole thing over. Uh, but no, I really want to thank Brandon for this. <laughs> That's true, um, Sky. What you you gotta want to give me personal shout outs? I uh, basically just to you, my good friend. God, just me come get down and blow house. me at the same Let's time. We will. I the microphone. No, I'm doing it on mic. Who and wants who wants the balls? I want to thank my <laughs> wife for letting me come over here and do this as much as I can and. We give her shit on here constantly, and she never cares. And oh, makes it with a good humor. Bree, I I love you. I genuinely love you. You're a great person. I I apologize for calling you a cunt on Wrestling Ruin for not letting Scott get a perm or a mullet. Um, still, I, I still I mean it. I mean it. But I'm sorry I said it. I should have kept it to myself. But uh, yeah, Bree Bree's been uh, nothing but great. Um, so, guys, I think that's going to close us out for this episode, but we'll be back August 15th for another installment of Rants After Dark, where Fat Fuck Scott and I will be doing a watch-along for the Charles Bronson Vigilante classic <laughs> Death Wish 3. The Till then, Rants... Uh, Till then, Rant Army, the Rants for the Black Lodge podcast can be found on social media at Rants Black Lodge. Subscribe to the podcast on one of the many platforms we're available on, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts on down the line. More than likely, we're available on whatever you know tool of the trade you're using. Don't forget to stop by our homepage at juicykruger.com. And for the love of Cthulhu, please. Well, let me try that again. And for the love of Cthulhu, please buy a T-shirt or a mug from our web store at rantarmy.com. For Fat Fuck Scott, for Fat Tony, I'm Brandon A. Lane signing off. Till next month, Rant Army, keep marching. <laughs>